flying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we move it, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to another episode of The Debrief. I'm your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and we're here to talk about anything on your mind, but we'll focus in on today's episode to start as a jumping off point. I was so glad to host an all-star panel of Shahid Buttar, Amani Oakley, and Shama Sawant, fan favorite on the Bad Faith podcast, to talk about the future of the left, why Shama Sawant is leaving the Seattle City Council after just under a decade, and why even recent candidates like Amani Oakley are frustrated with the dynamic of electoralism and the faith that's put in the squad to be adversarial now that they have pretty much demonstrated that they are unwilling to do so. I can't think of a better group of folks who has demonstrated their willingness to do what I believe needs to be done and to, to advance left politics. It was so interesting to be able to talk to them about things like how to handle 2024 and see that there is a diversity of opinion among even this very storied and respectable group. So I'm going to keep it a little on the shorter side today since we're starting late and I got to get up in the morning and I'm trying to get on schedule this week. Um, so I'm not going to prattle on. I'm going to put it to you guys and try to move through the queue a little more quickly than usual as well. Brent, you're up first. What's in your mind? Hi, Brianna. Hey, Brent. What's on your mind tonight? So um, you had Kashama Savant. Am I pronouncing your name right? Uh, I don't know that I'm the authority on it, but Shama Swant, yeah. Okay, um, so uh, she went hard on Ryan Grimm. She said that he's a basically a tool for uh, progressive politicians, and he he he's, and he he sucks up to progressive politicians because he wants access to them. Um, do you feel the same way about Ryan Grimm? I think that everybody, including Ryan, would admit that there's a 
element of access journalism as a journalist, you know that if I if I show up here and say so and so is a see you next Tuesday, then I'm unlikely to be able to interview them in a way that would have journalistic merit. And there's a difference between being cordial and professional and kind of appropriate and pulling punches that are necessary to do what your job is as a journalist, which is also an adversarial profession. And, you know, I think ultimately Ryan thinks that he is drawing a line in an appropriate place. I would draw a line in a different place. And I've told Ryan to his face and talked about him on the podcast about those moments when I feel like he should have gone harder. He shouldn't let Pramila Jayapal get away with saying that force the vote was a bad idea because Kevin McCarthy could be Speaker of the House, etc. I also think that Ryan Grimm at the, and his team at The Intercept do a lot of valuable reporting. And I can't speak to anybody's in, in internal mens rea, you know. I'm okay, not, not the mind reading business. <laughs> right, right. And then and one more and one more thing. So, um I'm sure you heard about the mass shooting in uh California. Yeah. Yeah, um my question is what what is your view on uh gun control and access to guns? Um should we ban all guns? Should we ban certain amounts of guns? Let people have as many guns as they want, uh, more armed security. What's your position on this? I don't know much about, and I don't know how much we as a community know about the shooting in California. I was uh, not following it closely. I was enjoying my weekend, got to say. So uh, I don't know what, how the shooter got the gun. I just saw that they were identified earlier today. So I'm not sure what policies might have prevented that person from being armed or what their motives were. Do you? I heard that he got the gun illegally. It was like one of those like uh, military rifles where they, um, they're used their guns to kill people, not for hunting. That's all I heard so far. And, um, it's, I live very close to where the shooting happens. So it's hitting a little closer to home than people just see as another news story. It's everywhere here in Southern California. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't know that I, I don't, first of all, I don't know that I would support banning all guns. I don't know if it's possible to ban all guns. And I don't know that that would have helped in this situation. And I don't necessarily know why that would be something that is kind of called for in this moment, given the constitutional realities that we face. It feels like kind of a, you know, it, it's kind of like saying, um, you know, I heard somebody call me an inward at the store yesterday. Should we ban the First Amendment kind of a deal? I mean, we live in certain constitutional Someone did confines, that? so I'm sorry? Someone said that to you yesterday? No, I'm. it's a hypothetical. Oh. I'm saying oh, a hypothetical. Sorry. It would be as a, a silly, I mean, it would be as kind of a, a a big a jump to go to, okay, well, let's ban the First Amendment because, do you know what I mean? Like, we, it's not, I'm not saying it's a perfect analogy, but I just, I don't know. That seems a little, I don't know. Um, so again, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I just don't know what would have prevented this thing from happening. Cause I don't, I don't know enough about the facts, but if you'd like to say your piece about what you think should be done, I'm happy to hear it. I think the assault rifles, the ones that are used to kill, those should be banned. But I feel like the, the ones used for hunting that require more, like, I'm not really well-versed in guns, but the ones that are require, that aren't like automatics, those like the hunting guns or like the ones for protection. Mm -hmm. I don't think those should be banned, but the ones that are used for like those machine guns. And this I guy was using an automatic, he was using an automatic weapon to kill these people. 
that's what was reported so mm-hmm. far. But yeah, I feel I mean, those should be. From what I understand, when there was an assault weapons ban, um, deaths from those guns went down dramatically. Uh, shooting deaths went down dramatically. And when that ban was lifted, it went back up again. So that seems to me to be sort of a no-brainer. And it goes without saying, but it shouldn't go without saying that this is an enormous tragedy in the Brandon fellow that ended up taking down the shooter unarmed um, was very heroic. And it's it's devastating that anyone right. has to be a part of the, anything like that. Right, because we – sorry, but we address mental – mental health is very important, but there's mental health problems all over the world. It's not just limited to the United States. The The unique issue with America is the access to guns, and I feel like we shouldn't ban all guns, but those automatic – I don't know why those are really necessary for people to have. And people might argue, well, the cops have them too. But the cops, there's a there's a layers of training they have to go through to have access to those guns. So I feel that's there's an important distinction to make. So yeah, it's well, really I'm... sad though. But thank you, thank you for taking my call. Of course, thank you, Brent, for calling in. Keep the faith. All right, thank you. All right, I'm going back to uh, Nathan. What's on your mind? Are you with me, Nathan? Going once, going twice. Oh, there you go. Are you with us, Nathan? Can you want to mute yourself? I'm hopping around. No, I got to the it. the line, and then I'm gonna hop around. Sorry, there was a glitch. There you go. What's on your mind tonight? Yeah. So the last time the last episode about Glenn Greenwald, there was something really interesting that, um, that was in the episode because he, th- there was an, kind of this extended debate about free speech. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there were some moments in there where how, how, how the way I would put it is that you guys kind of started talking about the practical implications mm-hmm. of what it would be to have a ban on quote racist speech. Right. And so the, the example that I'm going to give, and I thought about this for a while, which is that let's say that you're, that let's say that you're at a family gathering and, and to make this person as unsympathetic as possible, they're saying this while there is a black family member there, right? That racist uncle, racist aunt, you know, everyone has one in their family. Um, they are at the dinner table and they use the N word in front of you but also in front of that black family member. And so, like, what do you do? Do you A, do you disown them from from your family? Do you B, try and get them fired from their job? Do you C, call the cops? Some combination of that or none of the above. And I think when you put it in those terms, it's really hard to justify censorship laws around, quote, racism, because then you'd have to have people turning in their own family members like that where I think people would understand that it would be a really not good thing to do to go turn in your honor uncle for being racist when you know that, like, that's not really where you need to address that problem. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not entirely sure. I forget. I know I read a little bit of the law into the record when we were recording. Yeah, you mean the law in Brazil? Yeah. And that's what I was talking about. Just yeah. to, I'll, I'll let you respond very quickly. One more thing. The law in there, I believe, it specified not just discrimination, but racist speech in general, right? Yeah, what I'm saying is I don't remember exactly what I read, but mm-hmm. it didn't seem to me to implicate 
random overhearings on the street or in your house or things like that? Because we have, I mean, there's obviously a lot of racist behavior that is prohibited right. in the United States. You can't kick someone out of a restaurant because they're uh, in a protected class. You can't decline to hire them, things like that. And the, and the consequence of that is that there's like a Gestapo that locks you up for discriminating, discriminating against someone in a housing or employment t- context is that it, you're sued and you're forced to comply. You're forced, you're, you're either, fi- you're fined and or forced to change your policy and hire the person or pay, pay retribution to the person who was wronged and things like that. So I don't, again, I don't know exactly what it would look like, but I think the point of the conversation is to point out that I think that the gap between kind of where we are and where other places are isn't necessarily as wide as I think sometimes we imagine and that the things that we think are protecting us don't protect us in the ways that we imagine and the things that they think that are protecting them when they don't have the same, or sorry, when they have more restrictions aren't necessarily protecting them. And frankly, I think that we're all following a kind of a normative code that's more culturally embedded than say any, what any constitution does or does not say. That's not to say that I don't think there's value in having a first amendment. I just, it was interesting in the context of the conversation for me to hear Andrew Fishman say that he was both a victim of uh, less free speech of Brazil at the same time that he respected their position on it because of the recentness of having military coups. At the same time, I'm hearing Americans say, well, we have the First Amendment, we wouldn't allow X, Y, and Z, but obviously we do allow all these restrictions and we actually do think it's a good thing. That's all. It's just, I think it's a blurrier than we're all kind of pretending it is, but I don't have strong feelings one way or the other about what should be changed or if anything at all. Yeah. And that's the thing is that what, when I heard that, what I kind of, kind of gravitated towards is kind of the, I I don't know what this is about. Maybe there's a certain group of people on the left who look at stuff like the first amendment and see it as an obstacle. I've also heard it. I've also heard the first amendment and other amendments in the Bill of Rights called bourgeois political rights. But there's a huge overlap between those people and journalists who are benefiting from them. So I think some of it is maybe just the humility of knowing that when you're in a country with those protections and you're benefiting from them, it's it's almost like you don't realize you're doing it. But then when you're in the Brazilian context where you don't have those same protections, you're acutely aware of it. But then you also are inculcated in a culture where it's more acceptable and it kind of also blinds you too. It's like a, you know, catch 22, if you know what I mean. Well, I don't know. I thought that was so, that was so, what was so interesting about Andrew. Andrew's American. Like he doesn't have mm-hmm. to be, it doesn't need to be explained to him the cultural value of the first amendment or the real value of the first amendment. But despite still being in a situation where he would benefit from a stricter American speech law, as a journalist of a large, the Intercept Brazil is a much bigger institution, a much more powerful institution, taking up a much bigger part of the market share than Intercept America. So mm-hmm. he's in that position. The Intercept has been targeted. You know, Glenn has been targeted. All of these things have happened and he would benefit from a stronger speech law and still hesitates, you know, still hesitates to be too critical of the Brazilian paradigm precisely because I think it's, it, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's bourgeois, but maybe it's not bourgeois. Maybe it's you know, is it is it bourgeois to say I think that there should be some make it, we should make it as hard as possible for a military dictator, dictatorship to take over, or is it bourgeois to presume 
that the laws are always going to act in your favor against something like a military dictatorship and not against you and the intercept as an institution. I don't know. But, you know, I, I, res- I, I frankly respect where Andrew's coming from, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. And I just think it's a lot harder than people pretend. That's all. Yeah, the, what I would say about that is I got the mood from, at least in Brazil, the problem wasn't that they weren't enforcing the speech laws, but that they had too much power to the military. Like, with, like mm-hmm. in America, our military is civilian-led, and for better or worse, that keeps the military from acting outside of the bounds of what the civilian leaders want. But it seems like in Brazil, they're not bound by that so much. So when the protesters went to the Congress and the president's palace and, 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 and ransacked it, people actually thought that there was a serious risk of the military siding with them. Whereas mm-hmm. in the United States, I didn't know a single person who actually thought that the military was going to side with the January 6th people. Mm-hmm. It was just a bunch of hooligans who were going to go, you know, destroy some stuff, leave, and then they were going to go finalize their results, which happened. Mm-hmm. So if you take that away about the military being too powerful, then what? Then do you even need the speech laws anyway? Maybe not, but they have a military that is powerful, and they recently came out in the last 30 years of a military dictatorship. Mm-hmm. So that's just the situation it is now. So what do you want to do with that counterfactual? You know, if we, if we lived in a world with perfect age, racial equity and no racism, we wouldn't need to have the limitations on speech we have where people aren't allowed to discriminate on the basis of the race, et cetera. We could just be chill and know that everyone was going to be cool. But we don't live in that world. So what, mm-hmm. do, you, you know, what do you want to do with that counterfactual? You know, I mean, the, the, the it'd be honestly, I, I'd have to, I, I'd have to think about that more. Yeah, it's but hard. The, 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 but the one thing that really comes to mind immediately is when Glenn Greenwald, he used this argument on his own show. And I think that a lot I'd recommend people go and watch a show on Rumble because um, it's rather or not you agree with it or not. It's very powerful. Like mm-hmm. what he's saying, he's coming. He's it's it's a it's a very detailed show, and he's and he and he's a very strong presenter. But the point is that he made the argument on his show on Rumble that by doing the censorship laws, the democracy that they're trying to protect, they are inadvertently destroying it. So he brings up the example of a bunch of people who were bolsonaristas who won their elections, and no one questions their election win. But they were prevented from fully exercising the powers of their office because of this Judge Morice. And I just look at that as an American and say, how can you do that? Like, obviously, what? Margaret how Taylor are they, Greene is insane. How are they but kept she from also exercise- won the election. So if she wants to be a congressperson, she's won the ability to exercise her office within the bounds of they, the law. How are they kept from exercising the powers of their office? Many of them were suspended from office without due, due process. That is say, without a trial, because one of there was uh, the judge Morice thought some of them, either they had spread misinformation about the election, and some of them were accused by this judge Morice of being involved in the coup on on January eighth. But none of them had any trials, and also spreading misinformation. I mean, everyone does it. At some point, so it's like, are you going to put everyone in prison? I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to make an argument one way or the other. I'm just trying to understand: is there, is it like a, 
restraining order, like a temporary restraining order where they were, you know, they're temporarily banned while they figure it out and due process comes after. You know what I mean? That happens sometimes. It's not that Mm -hmm. it's just a slight delay because there's exigent circumstances and sometimes the court just puts a stop on certain things that are irreversible. Or are they permanently banned from exercising their duly elected powers because X, Y, and Z? I believe it was a mix of those. All right. I mean, that's worth knowing more about, but I think that those kind of details really matter, right? Right. But the point is that, like, it just just smells bad. It just kind of smells bad. It It just kind of smells bad to me. Just from the initial, just you know, you know what I mean—the smell test. It just smells bad from the initial smell of it. Just okay, like I'm an American. But so smelling bad, like I just people need to, everyone just needs to be a lot more specific. That that's all. That's all I'm saying. If look, if there is a law that says, you know, look, there's there's two things going on here. As I understand the situation with Glenn and the criticisms around Brazil, there are laws in Brazil that I'm not privy to. But if the court enforces those laws, you know, your issue is with the laws, not with the idea that the courts are politically motivated in X, Y, and Z. Now, laws are subject to interpretation. I understand mm-hmm. that there can be, you know, judges that are politically motivated, obviously, and that can be the case. But, like, it needs to be more, like, if, the, if Brazil doesn't have the First Amendment and if there are laws that say you're not allowed to do you know do something that's spreading misinformation and da, da, da. that seems like maybe it's a vague law that can be easily exploited and that's a mm-hmm. problem but who promulgated that law has everybody been living under that law have leftists been victimized by that law lula is the one that just spent all those years in jail you know so it just feels it feels a little like there might be more to what's going on not that i'm trying to exculpate anyone or take sides here but before i want to weigh in if that's what you want me to do is to weigh in i would need to know a lot more that's all i'm saying yeah, and, and, and that's fine, because I know Glenn Greenwald, he gives way more details that I could remember and just, you know, kind of trying to think of it in my head. But the other, obviously, research to help. See, the, the last thing I'm going to say before I let you get to more people is that the final argument that I've come to about the anti-censorship is that the censorship is the Pandora's box. And when you open up the Pandora's box, you can't unopen it. And you have to accept everything in the box, good or bad, right or wrong, benefiting you or harming you. So if you're not willing to accept the negatives of opening the box, then never open the box in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, certainly that's that's the deal. Um, And there are people who would say they'd rather not open the box and not have the free speech and live with the negative consequences of that as well. And certainly other countries with their own historical context have come to those kinds of decisions. And I think there are perfectly reasonable reasons for them to want to do that, even if we feel differently. So I appreciate you calling in, Nathan. Mm-hmm. All right, keep the faith. Levi, what's in your mind tonight? Can you unmute yourself, Levi? Hello? Hey, what's in your mind tonight? Hey, how you doing? Um, <clears throat> uh, I just wanted to quickly ask a question about the uh, media um, skate on the left in connection with the show that you did today. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about what's next for the left, and just that fella said a moment ago, I mean, everything's too complicated for, uh, for, people, for me to know personally. Um, I, I Is it possible for you to speak up a little bit, Levi? Yeah, I, I know last time we talked, I don't know if you heard, but we, we could hear you after you hung up for a little while having dinner. Oh, God, you hear having dinner. That's great. No, I didn't hear because you didn't post the. Um, the, life, the, the show, was that my fault? 
No, no. Did I not post last week's show? That was an accident if I never actually did it. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. Um, but we, we couldn't really make it out, and we were trying to talk loudly over you. So <laughs> it didn't keep coming through. Um, but we want to make sure we hear you today loud and clear. So can you just uh, speak up a little and let us know? what? Yeah. Maybe. Is that bad? Sure, just I think it just is a, maybe just a weaker connection, but just project and we'll and we'll we'll make it out. So what's in your mind? Okay, um, just a couple of things. So you you, you were talking with Sharma and and everyone today about the where's the left headed, and I think it's a big question that you probably have to keep going back to, with all of your guests for a while. Mm-hmm. But as I received the news, it's through um, you know either as a political representative or it's left media. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I suppose I'm interested in the left media part because that's something I can tune into. So um, I can get a handle on personalities there. And I just noticed, like, for example, today, I, mean, I don't have time to be clicking on everything all the time, but like RBN had like a hot take, it seemed, you know, they've got the little thumbnails going and everything now. And I, I wish them well. I really like Sabby Sabs. I think Nick is really strong, uh, some of the guys, but. Um, just like immediately, I think they were saying the way the thumbnail was written was something like it was like sort of accusatory, but I'm sure it just would have been more nuanced if I had a chance to listen to it about uh, you, your show, put your name in the thumbnail. And it's not like this episode is sort of trying to push people toward electoralism. And I just, it just got me thinking about the left media space. Seems like the Vanguard boys that I mentioned last month, you know, Zach and uh, Gavin, mm-hmm. they, Gavin. Are, they mm-hmm. seem to be going toward, they, I heard them in the last, I like fast forward through the things and look at parts that are interesting to me, um, and they, they seem to be annoyed at the way that um, Jimmy Dore would conduct himself in terms of not giving, not sort of allowing for people to disagree with him, she has that kind of part to his personality right so but they were they were they were making bedfellows with like they were saying they prefer david dole and mike figueroa which is a really weird move for me seems like they're moving towards the sort of i don't know what you'd call those people but they've very much sort of drifted off towards a sort of tyt-ish pro um dem kind of position from my perspective david dole and mike figueroa i don't listen to them any, anymore so i was just interested in that kind of have the conversation that you're having, whether it's uh, possible to keep it up and to reach out to people um, in a more regular fashion before before people sort of hank- hunker down and it becomes, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, it just seems like people are fracturing. Yeah, I don't know. It's a really interesting question. i got to say that part of why I'm so tired and don't want to talk for very long today is that this... Um, process of trying to reach out to people and bury hatchets and all of that is like really tiring to be honest and it's very thankless and if you try then people are mad at you for trying if you don't try you're accused of somehow trying to profit off of discord um, yeah. Yeah, I see that. and to be honest like I spend so much energy just ignoring people who are saying mean, terrible, vile, cruel things about me, (laughs) just ignoring them because at the end of the day, they like Medicare for all. And as long as they're talking to an audience about that and a handful of other progressive issues, it feels like it all comes out in the wash. But like, it's so fucking exhausting, to be honest. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I what, I believe, I'm kind of getting those vibes. I was thinking, how do they keep it up? Uh, how do you keep it up? How, do, how does everyone... It seems like no one can help but become personally kind of bothered uh, in the end, even though they were all able to articulate. Uh, all Everyone in those spheres are able to articulate to a degree or another, you know, the issue. And then, it, but it still seems to get to people like the personal sort of weariness of it. Also, I, I hear you saying often that you'd like you're looking for those good old days when we were all together. I suppose it's just going to have to be a fractured time. Maybe that's maybe it'll be productive. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I've been thinking myself like, is it just? I'm so tired of repeating myself. You know, like, like I'm sorry. Like I lost it just before I hopped on this call. I saw that. RBN had tweeted some clip of Sam still talking about how, no, I wasn't actually against force the vote, <laughs> yeah, which is just so like, who is this for? We were all there, dude. We saw you lying and being wrong, loudly wrong. Yeah. You criticized the actual technical plan. You thought it wouldn't work because you didn't understand how the vote counts worked until a month after force the vote moments was over. That was you, dude. We all saw you. And this ridiculous revisionist history where he's taking this clip of Jimmy yelling at Matt Stoller, which is a clip, by the way, if you watch it in full, Matt Stoller wasn't mad. He tweeted that he wasn't mad. Jimmy was joking in the clip. And somehow it's my fault for not stepping in between two grown men arguing on a podcast. Sam Cedar, who couldn't handle it a day bit, debate with me and ran crying, screaming like a little baby on the next day on the Internet because not me, but other people told him he lost. Like, come on. You're like 50. Like, grow up. Everyone needs to just grow up. Look, you were wrong. Okay? Take the L. I'm glad you're on board with Force the Vote now. And God willing, if another moment like this comes up, I hope you're supportive of it. Otherwise, I'm not talking about you. Stop talking about me. These people cannot stop talking about other people. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's the kind of little economy down there. They kind of, like, they kind of say it out, out front, right? Some of the, like, those, I guess it's like an outgrowth of... It's not debate culture. It's kind of like that gaming thing. I'm, I'm too old for it, but they like watch each other and have hot takes. And here's me playing a game, and you can watch. I guess here's me watching um, watching political dis discourse, and they have to have a take. And they often try to be nuanced and fair, but like I say, it's becoming very weird and personal. But anyway, I appreciate your stamina in that sphere. The other couple of things I did want to just raise with you. Um, uh, one was um, a quick word about there's this that copsy thing that's happening. And yeah. Did you see? Have you heard of the documentary Riotsville, USA? We it's new. We watched it a couple. No, of I haven't. Well, we watched it first day it came out a couple of two three days ago. My wife and I. It's, I think I haven't heard anyone else bring it up in relation to this copsy thing, but it seems like uh, it should be. The documentary is based on archival footage from the 60s. So after the uprisings in Watts, etc., all the sort of, you know, during the civil rights um, era, all of those seas that the racial tensions got higher and they uh, exploded into riots and uh, the CIA got a whole bunch of money to build a fake town and populate it with CIA agents, some mm. of whom played the populace and some of whom played the, um, the cops. And they practiced their movements and how they would use gas and everything. And it's it's, uh, it's all made out of, the, out of the actual footage because they filmed it as well. What's the name of the documentary again? It's called Riotsville, USA. Riotsville, USA? Yeah. Okay. I highly recommend it. Um, I think it would be interesting to hear you 
watch that and have a conversation about that in relationship to the COP season. It might be interesting to see. What yeah, and please, if people, I'll, I'll give that a look. And please, folks, if you have, can suggest guests, I saw that Olayami was on Vanguard talking about COP City. I'd love to put together a little panel. I mean, there's the obvious go-tos in this kind of criminal justice space, like Alex Vitale and uh, Alec um, Katsanis. But if, if anybody has any other thoughts about who they would like to come on and talk about what's been going on down there, perhaps someone with a more local perspective, I'd love to do an episode about that soon. Yeah, that'd be really cool. And uh, lastly, um, I guess I really want to talk about just Jeremy Corbyn, but the Belmarsh Tribunal. Um, I'm just thinking like how great Jeremy Car Corbyn has been. And I'm looking at the US and thinking about your show and how fond everyone is about how few people there are, are out there doing the good work like Bernie's becoming I'm sorry you're getting you're getting even quieter and I'm straining to hear you. do you have earbuds in or something like that I do I do can you take can you take all the Bluetooth off everybody if you're quiet you got to disconnect from Bluetooth because that's what's messing oh, it up I didn't know that yeah try. there you go that's so much better oh okay sorry okay so I was just saying um the the uh Jeremy Corbyn, I was saying, he's doing a lot of good. And since we're all being disheartened over here with um, most people, I think Sharma Sawant has been sort of one of the people that people have felt, oh, yeah, there's a fire. Jeremy Corbyn in England has been like all over the place. So mm -hmm. he's, he's been like supporting nurses, teachers, railway workers, mm -hmm. um, post workers. He's been going to refugee camps in Calais. He's been um, talking about the trans issue. He's kept up the Grenfell, you know, issue in England mm. where the, that mm -hmm. clad building got caught fire and killed mm -hmm. a lot of people. He's been, um, you know, uh, talking about Lula and Peru and Brazil. And he's been coming. He came to America and he talked. You know, he met up with. Uh, I'm sure you know with um, with Bernie, uh, but I didn't hear. I had people asking, like, he, he asked, he made a tweet. He said, you know, he, he said at the actual tribunal, Belmas Tribunal for Assange, mm -hmm. you know, he sort of called on representatives uh, in the Democratic Party, at least, to uh, come and stand with him. But he also tweeted it out and he announced, he made announcements. So he's doing stuff. You know, he, he's that quiet kind of figure, but he's putting his, you know, he is putting on those soft shoes and walking on the, um, on the, uh, picket lines and he does like he keeps up with everything he goes everywhere and he mm -hmm. doesn't change his tune he's principled maybe it's easier being in opposition or outside of the pie again and he's under so many attacks when he was near power mm -hmm. um who knows what what happens you know but uh i just thought that was so interesting both the, just him as a as a figure that's inspiring and secondly like the whole Belmarsh tribunal happening around Assange and the, I haven't heard anything from for example AOC or or Bernie mm. or anyone willing to stick their neck out and even tweet like yes wish we could yeah, have been there. It's, I think that's right I, who I don't feel like someone recently was talking on the podcast maybe it was Shama I don't know who was talking about it recently um about how different no it was a British person oh it was um the episode that we just did about the uh, stop oil protest. Um, oh yeah, I love, yeah. Timothy yeah. Morton. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I think he brought up um, how the, at least the energy feels a little different in England. Um, yeah. In part because there's like a handful of people still saying the right thing. 
um, yeah. in government. Uh, and I, I think that's like deeply meaningful and it, it does really expose how little of that we have here. AOC's response to um, Jeremy Scahill in that interview she gave in the January in January 2021, yeah, mostly we talk about her less than ideal answers on force to vote. But there was also that moment that he asked her about Assange and she was like, oh, I don't really know much about him. And he kind of let her off the hook on that. So yeah, what do you need to know? Exactly. Exactly. But look, I appreciate you calling in again, Levi. It was so nice talking to you. Yes. I'm glad. I uh, just want to apologize again for um, not realizing how the app works. Uh, <laughs> no worries. There's no reason you should have known that. I don't mean to be short-tempered with you. No, no. Um, uh, you sound tired today and I hope you'll get some rest and everything. And uh, yeah, and my apologies once more. But this time no, I have no, questions. No, no, no. I'm glad right? we were to work Last it time out. I ramble, this time I have questions. <laughs> I appreciate okay. it. Looking forward to the next time, Levi. Keep the faith. You too. Thank you. All right. Uh, Betsy, how are you doing tonight? First time caller? You look unfamiliar. Um, yeah. Hi, uh, Bree. Um, I do think that this might be my first time calling into your call-in. Oh, nice. Um, but I've been a fan for a while. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, just um, wanted to chat a bit about um, 2024 and uh, the <clears> – <throat> we were chatting about this actually on the on the chat in call-in about – uh, a little bit about the RBN um, show that's sort of the uh, presents two paths, uh, mm -hmm. the Marianne Williamson path or uh, what Kashama, sorry, Shama Sawant is doing with her. Um, I, I'm blanking on the name, the worker uh, workers um, night. So sorry. Now I'm, I'm blanking. On yeah. I well. can't remember. Of course, now that I'm on the phone or on the app. <laughs> But but you know what I'm talking about the yes, new inventor first. So um, yeah, you know, and and I watched your uh, I watched your show um, a, a little while ago. Um, you know, and I I like I like Marianne, but <laughs> um, my big problem really is, you know, why why does it have to be okay? Okay, we either you know run have someone primary Biden to the left or we just don't deal with any any of the electoral you know uh, politics at all and we just focus or we focus on down 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 ballot or direct action mutual aid I don't I, I, I there's another there's an op another option which is is to have somebody run as an independent and I don't mean um you know like say Marianne, doesn't win the primary, which I'm telling you that, that the Democratic Party is not going to let her. And I think I think you made that point or Shama made that point. But regardless, they're not going to they didn't let Bernie win it. They're not going to let Marianne win it. And I, I just don't see her as having as big a base, as big, a, big an appeal as Bernie did. Um, you know, so even if she doesn't win the primary and she's like, all right, I'm just going to run independent. I, you know, there's, there's still other, I mean, there, I was listening to something the other day. Um, I forget what, what podcast it was. I listened to a lot, but I was like shouting at it. It wasn't live. I think it was, I was replaying it and they were saying like, oh, you know, uh, it's, you know, there's, there's Democrats and there's Republicans and oh, we got to be bipartisan and there's no other, you know, there's no other choice. And, and look at what Perot did. And he, he, he swayed the election. And I'm like yelling, I'm yelling at it. And I'm just like, no, 
there is another option. We already have third parties, you know? So I, I get, I get the, the idea of running, having someone run to Biden's left to push, try to push the Overton window to the back toward the left, although it's totally right of center. So if, if anything, maybe it would be pushing at the center. And, and then what? Like, in the end, like, I am not going to vote for the Democratic nominee. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. I'm done. Because the Democratic Party has shown how corrupt they are. And there's, there, you know, there has to be another way to do this. And I, and I just, I don't fault anybody for wanting to primary Joe Biden. I don't like Joe Biden. Um, but in the end, I can't really fully respect somebody who's going to align themselves with the Democratic Party. And, you know, I, I yell at Nina Turner all the time on Twitter. I'm the one who keeps posting. Every time she posts something, she complains about the minimum wage is, is you know, less than a carton of eggs, which is totally absurd for both reasons. And I'm just like, okay, Nina, why haven't you left the Democratic Party then? When are, are you, you know, I'm going to keep asking until you answer the question. No, I, I and just, she never I'm does, gonna, even I'm after they you screwed off. her over, right? I, yeah, so I, I know where this, yeah. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I just want to yeah. that sick of brevity and clarity. Yeah. I think that's fine. Vote third party. I have no, I, I don't know why everyone's kind of bringing this to me. Like I've told anyone how to vote or that I give it. No, damn. I'm not saying that you So are. like, no, no, wait, wait a minute. Don't vote for Marianne. That's completely within your prerogative. You can ignore her and pretend that nobody is running. All the energy everyone is using, explaining why they don't want to vote for Marianne, they could be putting into finding an alternative candidate, doing whatever they do want to do with workers strike back. God bless. I support all of that. I'm not running Marianne. You're not running Marianne. Nobody in this chat is involved with her campaign or has chosen Marianne to run her as a candidate. However, it seems increasingly likely, based on the statements that she's made on social media, that she is going to run. So the following options exist. Don't participate in the primary. Vote for a Green Party candidate in the primary, which may be diminishing. I mean, sorry, ignore that. That's not an option. We're talking about a general election. So the options are vote for uh, um, uh, Marianne in the primary, vote for Biden in the primary, don't vote in the primary. Those are the Mm -hmm. options, right? Or vote for, you know, like those are practically speaking the options. So I, this is what I said to Shama. I completely respect people who don't want to vote or participate, give money, do anything in the primary. I have never in my entire life argued against that position. That is a completely legitimate position to take. And I don't want people talking to me as though I've argued against that position. Take that position. Go forth. God bless you. Don't vote for a Marianne. God bless you. That is a completely legitimate position. Don't vote for any person running the Democratic Party ticket. God bless. I did not vote. I voted for Bernie in the in the primary last time around. I voted for a Green Party in the general. I think that everybody knows this about me. So did I. Yeah. So why why is this? Why is everyone so hung up on Marianne? It seems obvious to me that even you're not spending any money on it. It doesn't take any of your time, interest, or ability. If Marianne wants to sacrifice herself, her mental health, her well being, her money, all of that. To get on the debate stage and say a few useful things about the left project and force everybody to see what a neocon asshole Joe Biden is, I think it's a real mitzvah and God bless her for it. You don't have to like her. You don't have to give her money. You don't have to support her. I don't understand why everyone's so obsessed with this idea that if you are at all grateful or appreciative or think it is on balance, even incrementally a good thing, 
for her to at least be pushing Biden left in the context of a primary where nobody else has raised their hand and is willing to do so, that that somehow means you're committed to Democratic Party politics or that you're a sellout or that you are, have too much credit, credit, uh, faith and credulity about, about electoralism or any of that. She's, she's just a candidate who none of us can control and is choosing probably maybe to do a thing that might, you know, be to the net benefit of the left. So like, help me, help me understand this. Help me understand this, Betsy. Why is this even a topic of conversation? If you want to ignore Marianne, just ignore her. My, so my question though, and obviously you don't know the answer to this and I wish I could hear, I, I could ask her is why doesn't she just run as an independent? Why is she running? She said the on the party? Vanguard. First of all, she hasn't announced. So who knows what she's going to oh, do? Okay, okay. Can we at least That's save fair. this anger until when and if she announces? My God, I'm not, no, she's I'm not, not in the race. I'm not angry. More, I'm not angry. I'm not over. angry. I think you're mistaking uh, okay. my Maybe you're not angry, Betsy, but I have mentions not, and people I'm not, are I'm mad. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Betsy. I'm frustrated that good Good people keep running in the Democratic Party. Okay, but we don't. Marianne literally hasn't even announced that she's going to do this yet. If she announces that at all, yes. she has impl- she has said on the Vanguard not one week ago that she is like she likes the, a dirty break plan. She said that. So, I, heard, like, I actually she- heard saw what she said, and she didn't answer it, but she was snark like snarky, so she left the door open. She said that when, yeah. when, when Donald Trump was asked that same yeah. question about whether yeah. or not she would support that he would support the Republican candidate in 2016, right. he said depends it depends on how, how they treat me. Yeah. Now I think yeah. it's obvious that Marianne yeah. can't go and try to run as a Democrat and do a da- dirty break if she says explicitly from the jump that she's going to do a dirty break. So of course, if you want her to cut off her foot. And, and and race with one hand tied behind her her her, hand, her back and prohibit herself from being able to do the dirty break in the first place by pro- proclaiming that she's going to do a dirty break that I don't know what to tell you. Like, that's just politics. I'm sorry. That's why I don't want to be involved in politics, but that's the reality. She cannot obviously say I'm going to do a dirty break not. if she wants any shot at, at getting on the debate I stage with wish, Joe Biden and doing this thing. I run as an independent from the get-go. That's what I'm saying. Okay, well, like, maybe well, she will. And if she's not, if yeah. she doesn't and people don't like that, then I completely respect their choice not to support her. And if you want a candidate that 100% is going to run for her uh, as an independent from the beginning, I strongly support encouraging people who to, to go ahead and do that. Where's Matthew Ho? I don't know. What's he's up to? Yeah. Should the left be coalescing around their own candidate? I think that would be great. I would yeah. love to have that conversation, but that has nothing to do with Marianne, who's her own person who none of us can control. You know? Yeah. No, I get, I, I get that. I don't think anyone can control her. It's just, it's, it's just, a, it's just a frustration that I have that there are, it's not just Marianne, but other people who will, you know, run as a Democrat and then they lose the primary and then they don't, they don't do a dirty break or whatever it's called. And then they just are like, oh, okay. And then they just go and endorse the Democrat in the end. Then you should yell it's, at her and scream at her and be mad at her when that happens. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know what Not to tell you. Runs. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's all we that's all we can do. I don't know when I became Marianne Williams's press secretary. I never. But I like, never, I, ever I don't I don't know, guys. <laughs> when, when the bad things happen, if the bad thing happens, I think you should complain about it. Sitting around here kvetching about something that hasn't manifested and which is the only maybe bright spot on this whole 2024 electoral disaster. <laughs> It doesn't seem to me to be a good waste of time, but you guys seem to really like to chew this carrot. So let's let's keep this. I'm sorry, Betsy. Betsy, Betsy, I'm taking I'm I'm taking frustrations okay. on on you that aren't about you, and I apologize for that. No, but like it's okay. C- come on, like you guys, like we we have had. 
I've, I, if we go back and count call-in hours, if I haven't talked about the same subject for at least 40 hours of my life, I'm, my name isn't Brianna Joy Gray. So, like, <laughs> I, this is what I'm saying. Like, when the earlier call, when Levi was saying, like, are you frustrated or overwhelmed? Yes. And it's because a part of what I'm thinking is I need to step away from this and start writing because, so I can just send people yeah. the same fucking thing I've said a thousand times. Like, read this article, read this article. Cause I'm, I'm telling you, I'm at my limit for how many times I can say this stuff over and over and over again. Okay, no, but it's not about you, Betsy. I'm sorry, it's not your fault. That's a fair no. That's a fair point. It's a fair point, Bree. And to and also, you know, I to be fair, I I haven't heard a lot of your call-ins, so I didn't know that's that, fair. You know, I'm sorry. You're saying these things for 40 hours, but I I get that. And and you made a good point about you know that we're fetching about it. And actually, I that makes me think you know our time is better spent on other things. So uh, I will you know I don't know if you mentioned this, but I am just gonna quickly plug the Rage Against the War Machine um, rally um, in D.C. February 19th. Um, I live in Massachusetts, so I, I'm going to try very hard to get down there. But there are some really great speakers. Um, and, you know, I think it brings together different coalitions all around, centered around, you know, anti-war movement. And I think... Where is this? We need, um, it's in D.C. If you... it's it's I think it's Rage Against... It's Rage Against the War Machine. So if you think of the band, Rage Against the Machine, and then you just insert war in there. And no, they are not performing, to my knowledge, which is too bad. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, but it's February 19th at 1230 at, I think it's, I think they're meeting at the Lincoln Memorial and walking to the White House. But go to the, go to the website. Okay, February 19th. Um, have okay, we have a little bit of time. Um, but there's some really great speakers, uh, Medea Benjamin, and I mean, it, like, there's a, a amazing amazing people max blumenthal um you know the usual suspects i'd say so okay that sounds great thank you for flagging that and i hope you bring it up again probably on that instead of kvetching yeah, I, I strongly agree and look yeah. every criticism if you have of marianne kind of falls flat if you aren't mobilizing in the alternative and that's what I mean. I have this not not that you need to know that this Betsy. It's not your fault to not know this. But over a year ago, I had no, this co- exact conversation with Shama and Chris Hedges, <laughs> and I laid out mm-hmm. to them: here are the options. You can say the left that the electoral politics is a distraction, that focusing on mm-hmm. 2024 is a distraction. We should be doing other things. We shouldn't be participating in this general election. Mm-hmm. Period. Point blank. Period. And to that, I would say reasonable position. Let's move on. Yeah. I have no fight there. I think that's a very reasonable position. I completely get why someone would have that perspective, and I'd be happy to move on. But they both very clearly and persistently refused to take that position. They said, no, 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 we shouldn't sit it out. We shouldn't sit it out. Okay, I didn't say that. They said it, and and Shama said it again on today's podcast. So my follow-up question is, then what do you want to do? Because apart from sitting it out, the options are to vote for one of the people who are actually in it. And if you don't like who's in it, then it's your job to mobilize to get someone else to be in it. But if you're not going to do that or if that's not possible because it's legitimately hard, no blame here, no shade, just that is what it is. In a primary context, do you believe in voting for the lesser of the evils in the primary? And if your answer is no, well, then go back to option A. You've just said you wanted to sit it out. Yeah. That's it. Those are the only options. It's Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard for me personally to justify 
the, you know, voting the lesser two be- two evils in a primary when I'm not going to vote for the lesser two evils in a general. Really? And so I, I feel like for me, I have to apply that same logic, but that's just how my brain works. See, but I, I, think I don't fall to, like, I think there are, there are benefits to supporting a green party in a general election. I want them to get to 5% of the voting share. I want them to have ballot access. Oh, I want all of that to happen. And in a primary, all I'm saying is that knowing that my green party candidate isn't going to be president, Yes, that I would rather I, I, I'm hopeful that at least the best of the primary candidates is the one that's getting through the gate. You know, yeah, my, I just know, my, I just don't think that they're ever going to let Marianne win anyway. <laughs> so that's okay. a whole other right. I mean, they, they, people said the exact same thing about Bernie and people and they still didn't felt, they didn't let him win. Right. But people still voted for him and supported him. And of there was course. none of this. There was of none course. of this energy. People were just excited and let a good thing happen. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like it's it's in, it's it's just an interesting dynamic I'm seeing emerging. It's just an interesting dynamic that I don't entirely understand. It doesn't seem entirely logically consistent for me. Yeah, but it is what it is. I think is I think is. you're forgetting. There's one other option. Well, there's two others. One is to move to another country, which is like you know, ninety nine percent of us can't can't afford to do that anyway. But in more seriously, focusing on the down ballot, the local. I, I'm finding more and more living in a small town in Massachusetts that the mm-hmm. local politics matter so much and I can make a much bigger impact in my town of, you know, 10,000 people. Yeah. And, and I've been a, Oh man, have I been a thorn in their side? Um, Which is why I, I think, I that, that, that's why I think it's, but it's no, very but legitimate to say there's like what 35 States that have ballot initiatives. Right, but, but that's why I think it's right? legitimate for someone to take the yeah. position that you should focus on that stuff and ignore the general election. Yeah. I think that's a very legitimate position to take. Yeah. But Shama is not taking that position. Chris Hedges did not yeah, take well, that that's, position. That's, that's, that's a problem. But so, but she's also going and and trying to start this you know labor you know labor movement, um do you know organize which I think is terrific. I want to yeah. see something come, come I, out. I I completely agree. But like I don't know. I just read all the comments today about how I'm the one that loves the Democratic Party. So I'm not the one. Who oh, said, I did not sit that. out the. I don't know who commented but, that, but that wasn't me. <laughs> right, I know Betsy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and let you go so I can talk in generalities and don't think yes. I'm talking about you. But I pre- keep the faith, Betsy. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so we have the same initials, at least the BG. So solidarity. <laughs> Love that. B- BG power, solidarity. Thanks for calling. Yeah. Please do call again when, you know, we're not in the middle of all of this. It's okay. Michigan. Sure, sure. <laughs> all okay. right. Keep the faith. Um, so, yeah, I just want to speak, generally speaking, all of the, like, I, I, I will stand by a disagreement that someone has with me. But I, I got to say, it really pisses me off when people attribute shit to me that I did not say to win an argument or to posture online or to beat their chest and all of this shit. It's exhausting. I spend a lot of time and energy picking my words and being very clear about what I do and do not believe. And I am not the one who said that you absolutely have to participate in a general election. I have, I have no feelings about it. I had no feelings about it and had made no representations about what I think people should do for 2024. Check the record. I, Brianna Joy Gray, have not advocated for a single thing. When it comes to what people should do in 2024, that's not my business. That's above my pay grade. All I'm doing is making clear what the options are and trying to understand the rationale people have adopted for choosing one of those options so that I can make a personal assessment and so that I can be helpful to other people trying to make that same personal assessment. That's it. All right. Uh, Not my cousin, Eric. What's on your mind tonight? Hey, how are you? (laughs) <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> so I'm going to try to be, you know, trying to short. But um, one of the things I really want, first of all, yes, if you can post the call-in from, what is that, last Thursday, that would be great. Unfortunately, I had to miss that, so I didn't get to listen in. Yeah, of course, my bad. Sometimes it takes a long time to process, and I fall asleep before I do it, and I completely forgot that I hadn't posted it. No worries, no worries. Give me something else to listen to while I'm going uh, grocery shopping tomorrow. <laughs> um, but one of the things, because there were so many great episodes that you posted, like the Brazilian episode turned out to be a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be, specifically around the ideas of when you started talking about the idea of freedom of speech. And the conclusion that I really came up with is that freedom of speech is a good amendment. That First Amendment is a really good amendment. I think what we have done is that we have put too much, we have put it on a pedestal. And I think we put too much weight on the idea of the freedom of speech and that is going to solve everything else. And after listening to that conversation, I've come to the conclusion is the problem isn't with the freedom of speech. The problem is we need more laws to uh state certain types of freedoms for example like i believe i heard this from irony we don't have freedom there's no freedom to law no freedom to us accessing the law mm. as in if i get sued by someone mm -hmm. i have i have to pay for a lawyer mm -hmm. there's no civil freedom that i you know in also in certain cases i mean if i get um caught up in a criminal case there's no guarantee that I believe, I think you have to have a certain amount of income to get a public defender. I don't think you automatically get one. Yeah, but yeah, you, you get one. If like, and you if you don't, if you don't have counsel, they'll appoint, they'll appoint you. Okay. Counsel, but even then that's like, how much freedom is that? Cause now you have a counsel that probably has a hundred other cases and yeah. you're one of that a hundred who's overworked. Mm -hmm. So you're so now it's not even equal to someone who can afford, you know, a, a, a lawyer who's on like, you know, a $10,000 retainer. So this yeah. idea is like when, when I hear people start to talk about, you know, the idea of freedom of speech, what I start to understand is that, oh, no, we just need to keep that freedom of speech and then expand it to other areas. And also one of the things like I realize is when people start talking about like, why they think Gren Greenwald is on the right. Mm -hmm. And because I, I came to that same, I, what, what ended up happening is people would say Gren Greenwald said, you know, he supported, uh, he believed in, you know, Citizens United. And then I would go and I'll listen to him. And I was like, oh, he just believes the idea that money is speech. And right. then my conclusion is we need to, because I, I kind of agree with them. Yes, technically money is speech. And to me, the argument would be then we need to take money and treat it separately. We need to say in a law that money can't be treated X, Y, and Z or something like that. We have right. to remove money from the equation. Not to say money isn't speech, but to say, yes, money is speech, but it's such a, it's such a lopsided form of speech. Yeah. We need to have something in law that diminishes its power yeah i think that's exactly right and i've seen that criticism of glenn and then you're completely right about what it actually is and it's funny i don't know if you noticed but uh bronco march teach also mentioned that he believes that citizens united like he thinks that money is speech too like he thinks that ultimately it was rightly decided and if you go back and look at what the case actually was about in this um 
like documentary. It, it, it feels actually much more like a, a free speech case than the way we think about it as a pure money and politics case because it's literally about media and Hillary Clinton in 2016 or 20. No, it was 2012. 20, I don't know. Some Hillary Clinton documentary. The case was, I think, 2011 or 2012. The point is, um, uh, I guess it was 2008. Maybe it was when she was running against Obama. The point is, uh, you know, that's completely right. Like, sometimes we are caught up on the constitutional amendment of it all because we're trying to use whatever we have at our disposal and, like, fit a square peg in a round glove to get the outcome that we want. What we really need is more laws. And I think part of what's happening in this country is that it's so difficult to pass legislation that we've all gone like crazy over the Constitution because it's the only thing um, we have and we're all trying to do with it what we can. We treat it like this holy document and it's not this holy, you know, untouchable document. It's, it's like we treat it like this, you know, these group, this like these 15, well, I don't know how many people. Nice. But these nine wise oh, right. men descended yeah. from the heavens and gave us mm-hmm. this document even I believe one of them even said, "No, nah, we should probably open this up like every nineteen twenty years." Some nonsense yes. like that. <laughs> because- yes, they're, they they imagined there was some some somebody said I don't know one of them founding dudes said something like there needs to be revolution every twenty years or we failed. Like that they had an idea of it being a much more flexible, much more um, revolutionary environment than this weird obsessional commitment to these words as though it's a sacred text. Like that was never the original intent. And who was it? Who was it? Was it Bronco who was talking about factionalism on the podcast also and about how they imagined they, they wanted there to be there, that there's this equality that comes out of political factions this is from the Federalist Papers or something. I don't know, whatever. The point is that none of this was as it was designed. And the real issue here is that we're all like weirdly obsessional about the constitution only because we have a legislature that fundamentally doesn't pass laws and doesn't work anymore. And we can't I get think, constitutional amendments. We can't get quorums. It's a mess. And one of the things I also want to say, first of all, I think that while the, the Congress wasn't necessarily designed to that, I think over the years and over the decades, the people in power, like the leaders of these two, the two parties, want it that way. They want it to be, they want, they like the slowness. They like the muckety muck of it all. They like the fact that the speaker can control which bills can go on the floor and which ones can't. Why and no one ever questions why does the speaker have that power? For what reason? Yeah. And also one of the things I wanted to say real quick cuz someone brought up the Vanguard and I wanted to say something about those guys. I really do enjoy watching their shows and the the interviews and I wish more leftist channels were like the Vanguard guys, because even though they can be petty sometimes, you know, they can be a little uh, uh, brash with their language, they don't seem to take things personally, where yeah. they'll have, like, they can get into arguments, because they got into an argument with, like, you know, dis- uh, disagreement with Glenn, Green- Glenn Greenwald, mm-hmm. have them on the show the next day. And I'm pretty, yeah. and they, they do that all the time, and I just wish that this level of pettiness that is... It, because one of the things that, because listen, even if you didn't agree, to, because one of my things that I have with people who didn't agree with the force to vote, then what is your plan? What do right. you want to do? Because to me, the argument that the the conversation that they should have been having was, and the uh, critique they should have been having with, you know, the Justice Democrats and the squad is, why are y'all waiting to the last minute? Because to get behind, because y'all say, okay, we need more, because this came up into the uh, the conversation you had today, which I really enjoyed those three uh, people. 
with uh, Shahad, Shahad, you know, Imani and Kashama on there. Really great conversation. But Imani brought up the fact that these progressive organizations, they wait to the last minute. They wait mm-hmm. to see, okay, you got traction. Now I'll come. Because they mm-hmm. did it with Summer Lee. Mm-hmm. They did it with Corey Bush again. They mm-hmm. wait to see, okay, do they have tra- traction? Because then that to me just shows, oh, w- you're not trying to create a force. In So you, what you said you wanted to do, you're not doing. And to me, that's what, if you believe in, you know, Justice Democrat and the squad and DSA, then to me, that is the critique that should they should have. Why would right. it? If, if your whole thing is you want more squad members and that's what's going to save the planet, then force the vote. I'm sorry, was directly connected to that effort. Because as we saw a week ago, Republicans enabled more far-right, whatever, Freedom Caucus-style Republicans' ability to get into office by getting Kevin McCarthy's super PAC out of those primaries. Imagine how many squad members we might have today if Hakeem Jeffries' super PAC and DMFI and all of these super PACs hadn't gone against any number of candidates, including Nina Turner, right? So, like, it's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. Even if you believe in the electoralism project and that we just need a handful more, 10, 50, whatever, more progressives, force of vote could have been keyed into that goal as well. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I really just force the vote, neoliberal tears, and I'm never going to stop talking about it. I love it. Don't. Uh, as much, no matter how much Vosh wants me to, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> I did see his tweet about that, so I'm very intrigued to see that conversation. Oh, yeah. 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 Was it did, I hope it didn't give you too much of a headache. Uh yeah. <laughs> no, it was a good it was a good conversation. It was three hours though, so Oh yeah. <laughs> uh I'm so, just a okay. little tired. So I'm seeing we're getting a part A, part B probably. You're gonna look, I, I'm tired, but it did get me out of doing an extra episode. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I will be having a very relaxing end of week. Um but uh, the last Uh, The last thing I wanted to say is one of the things that I do hope if Marianne does decide to run, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I hope that comes from it is because to me, one of one of the goals that I would like to see in one of the things I hope when people whether you decide to run, if you're running into running within the political system, the Democratic Party is the ability to speak on the corruption and the dysfunction within that. So one of the mm-hmm. things I would love to see her do if she does decide to run is when she's on the stage, point out when they are being destructive to you. Point out mm-hmm. when the doing the DCCC is, you know, rigging something. Say yes. it. They're doing that. That's why I want that's what I was hoping the squad would have done is when, you know, you know, Nancy Pelosi came on there and made AOC cry. I would listen. I don't know. I guess I just got too much pride. You can't go on to. You can't sit there and yell at me, make me cry on the floor, and me not say nothing. A hundred percent. Yeah, someone would come out. You know, this should be you know oppressed. Next thing, Nancy Pelosi said X, Y, and Z to me. A hundred percent. Like hundred percent. And all these backroom dealings, like what Imani said to me is what I was hoping they were going to do. It's like this is the backroom dealings that they're trying to do. This is you know. And and she was very uh, very poignant when she. Cause I said the same thing when I listened to AOC's Instagram live that she did when she said, mm-hmm. you know, we can pull off Republicans. I'm like, to do what? For what? Because if they, yeah, like if you could pull Republicans off to get minimum wage hot raised, that would have happened then. Mm-hmm. Like so, to me, it's like to do what? Like now, it's like I like 
the le- the quickness with which I have this. I don't hate AOC. I don't hate the squad. I'm not someone that's going to go down there and, you know, bash them. I just looked at them like, eh, I shrugged my shoulders. Is what it is. Yeah, my messy ass, my messy confrontational ass, my philosophy is if if someone's going to be uncomfortable in this conversation, it's not going to be me. (laughs) I will not suffer in silence. I will bring this whole party down with me. (laughs) (laughs) I I did do that once. I I had a, I I was at a like little, little friend gathering. You know, very, you know, left-leaning people who still like the squad. And, oh, my God, when I just said, like, I didn't even say I didn't like it. I just said, like, eh, I could take a lever. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me. And they were like, what do you mean? I was like, what is she going to do? Like, what is she, what has, outside of, you know, staging the protest and Nancy Pelosi offered that one time to really put the Green New Deal on the map, mm-hmm. what has she really done? Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I, look, I, She's, I mean, she's, everyone does things and I'm sure she's done things that are very valuable. And like, I don't even need to, I don't even need to diminish what she has accomplished to say that she hasn't accomplished what she said she would. She hasn't mm-hmm. taken the approach to the Democratic Party that she said she would. Yes, that's I'm not my asking point. her to do anything other than what she said she was going to do. I'm holding her to her own standard, right? Yeah. Because to be honest with you, yeah. uh, what's, uh, Elon never really said that. Um, right, that's why AOC gets all that smoke. Yeah, like, Elon never said like, that. Sometimes I feel bad for the focus on AOC, but like also it is true that AOC has put herself in this situation by saying all the things she said before she got into office and then inserting herself into all of this. No one told her to do that Instagram live. No one told her to get into a back and forth on Twitter with Justin Jackson. Nobody told her to do that uh, that interview at the intercept with Jeremy Scahill. Nobody told her to say any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe it's a good thing. Like I, I think it's ultimately good for the left that she is willing to expose her thinking. Because it helps us to understand that we were right when we judged some of her actions, frankly. Mm. But it's, you know, like, it's it, it then it, it's why she's getting all this criticism. It's not because we, like, secretly hate her or have a vendetta out against her. And I wish that she would understand that, like, to the extent that she doesn't want to get that smoke, she can either just, like, button it up, not put herself out there. Okay, I don't think that helps the left, but fine. Or actually come to the table so that we can have a two-way conversation where it's not us reading the tea leaves of her various social media posts and where she can actually hear us and commune with us and develop plans with us and figure stuff out with us in a way that does, isn't adversarial to us, but which will help her to be adversarial to the people who are actually out to get her. Like Hakeem Jeffries, who they're all clapping for like a, like a, uh, like a trained seal. Mm-hmm. I, that, that was like, and oh my God, Jamal Bomos made me throw up with the way he was coming at that. I was like, cause he's black and I couldn't take it. But the last two things I want to say real quick. Uh, one, politicians are public servants. I wish we treat them more like public servants instead of celebrities. Cause I don't know why we do that. They're public servants. They work for us. We should treat them like that. And mm-hmm. lastly, if you're looking for some people to talk about the, um, the cop Island thing. Um, I know mm-hmm. you uh, interviewed um, FD signifier before he did a good uh, YouTube show on it. So you can probably reach out to him. He'll probably know some people too. Okay, great. I think FD is great. So okay. I'll, take, I'll definitely watch his, his vid. Thanks, Eric. You too. Keep the faith. All right. Big Q, big Q, big Q. Let's see here. How about cats? You look like a new face cat. What's on your mind tonight? Hi. Hey. Oh, what's on your mind tonight? I'm sorry. This is my first time. <laughs> I'm nervous a little bit. <laughs> oh, well, welcome, cat. 
I'm sorry, you've, you've picked a hot mic night, but I'm, I'm going to get myself together. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, it's a safe I, space. I listen to you. It's so weird because I watch you on my screen. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's like a bizarre experience. But um, someone said <laughs> one of the options is to leave the country. I did leave. <laughs> I'm calling from South Korea. So oh. What I time get... is it over there? <clears throat> it's noon. Oh, that's very reasonable. Yeah, that's so a it's a reasonable time to call in. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a holiday, so that's mm. the only reason I'm not working. That's the only reason I'm able to call. But um, I see. I'm like poor A who calls in from India, and it's always like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so it's it's nice. I'm I'm listening and cleaning and just enjoying the conversation. Um, I just finished watching um the episode with Shama Sawant and everybody, and I thought it was really good. I also feel like the same frustrations like sometimes I'm like okay what should I do <laughs> electoralism mm-hmm. or not you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm so like grateful that you like kind of push back all that okay so what is it what is it but there's never an answer and I think that it's unfair for us to put that on like podcasters or anybody because but we just we want I think we want leadership and we just don't yeah. have it <laughs> and it's so frustrating especially like I've been abroad for like uh, six years. Mm. Um, and it's just when I go home to America, I just see how nothing works. Like mm. just not. And then I come to Asia and I feel like things work here. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. just like, why can't we do it? Like it's so it's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have some theories on that. And this is part of why I'm trying to figure out how to change my schedule. So I have more time to write because this has been something, and it's come up on the show here and there as we talk. And I t- end up talking about this with Vash a little bit, actually. This, what it was that really irritated me about some aspects of the force the vote pushback, some of the things that have been said about organizing from organizers on this podcast, you know, the way that the media mobilizes to protect the the only few alleged fighters that we have. It's because it feels like there's this belief that things like cannot change that, that that there are it's like this real demobilizing sedentary attitude that i think comes from a country where we're not being in a country where we're actually not used to things changing or working yeah and i, do I mean, think that having a fresh perspective either because you've traveled mm-hmm. um or, or something like that it, it's it, it is radicalizing. I, I think my own experience having grown up abroad is part of my lack of complacency, frankly. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this when I, I was watching Rising with you and Robbie, and he just he gets so mad about the masks and everything. And I find myself, I kind of get it. I kind of get why he's so reluctant, because when I'm in this, like, I left. I, so I was in China when pan, the the COVID started. Mm. And then I think it was just like hubris. I was like, well, it's not going to come to America. So I'll just go wait it out in America for two months. And then I'll come back to mm. China. And then I got stuck in America <laughs> for all mm. of 2020. And then I came back to Korea in 2021. But when I went back to the States for 2020, the lockdowns were like, not really. It was like, you could still go to Target. You could still do whatever you wanted. There was no, the government didn't give us anything. Right. And then mm. I come to Korea and I'm not even a citizen. I just came on a working visa and the government put me up in a quarantine facility 
They mm-hmm. gave me food. They gave me mm-hmm. masks. They gave mm-hmm. me medicine, all for free, mm-hmm. and I'm not even a taxpayer. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking there would have been, like, I get why why Robbie gets so frustrated. I think it's because there's just no proof that it could ever work that our government cares about us in any way. So then it just turns into anger. Like, well, I don't want to do anything because they just don't do anything anyway. Uh, but I'm like, if 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 the U.S. had even done just the bare minimum, just even masks delivered to your to your home at the at the very start when yes. everyone was afraid yes. then there would have been more of like like here in korea everyone i mean we got free food we got free ma- we got just everything so there was trust yep. that you know this is a novel thing no one knows what's gonna happen but at least the government that we pay for kind of cares <laughs> yeah, I, so, I agree 100 percent. i remember making this argument at the beginning of the pandemic that if you want people to have buy-in you have to make it easy for them you have to start with the carrots not the sticks so not, you know, don't move straight to the mandate. Say, I'm going to make it easy for you to stay home because here are your groceries. Here are your masks. Here are your, the government's working hard to pay a lot of money to put these ventilators in place so that you can go out into public spaces, et cetera, et cetera. And they just didn't do that. There wasn't any public trust. They lied about masks. They never really distributed them in a meaningful way. And now here we are. Now, I do, I can disagree a little bit. I do think that there was this moment where there was this demonstration that America could rally and do things well as well. Mm -hmm. They rallied and mobilized well to get the vaccines distributed. I was, like, frankly shocked with how able they were in actually getting shots in arms. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was almost a kind of, I felt a weird kind of patriotic solidarity when I, you know, went down to Howard Hospital and got my shot and saw all the nurses and everything. It wasn't packed. There was no queue it all felt like we were doing our part, you know, whatever you feel about vaccine politics. Like it felt, I was like, oh, America can do things quickly and efficiently if it wants to. We didn't have to pay. There were no health insurance cards. It felt amazing. Yeah, I was outside of the country that happened, but my parents did tell me that. They're like, yeah, you just go and you just get it. Like you just go and you just get it. And I was like, what? In America? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, that's. That's all I, I want to say. I enjoy the episodes and I, I always listen, listen to you. Um, I listen to rising every day when I wake up because <laughs> when oh. I wake because of, because of the time difference, <laughs> it's a fresh episode in the morning for me. <laughs> so That's I'm like funny. one day ahead. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I will say that I, 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 sometimes I do, um, I, sometimes I do agree with Robbie with some of the things he, sometimes he's, I don't at all. But sometimes I'm like, I kind of get it. <laughs> He's channeling some kind of anger. I don't think he... Well, I, well look, I also don't think that Robbie's issue with the masks is feeling like the, I don't trust the government or anything like that. I mean, Robbie's a libertarian and he fundamentally, as a matter of principle, doesn't think the government should be empowered to do anything at all. Robbie, and I'm not, this is not a smear. Like, I like Robbie, but Robbie has explicitly said he would get rid of the FDA. Robbie doesn't want to wear masks because he finds them to be uncomfortable. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's the yeah. whole thing. Robbie... It's not like this libertarian, like, oh, I don't want the bo- the government in my life. He's very happy to get the jab. He loves the jab. He has no problem with vaccines. He just doesn't like the way masks feel on his face. That's it. That's the oh. whole objection. Uh, well, I'm not talking about I, – I wasn't talking about the mask, just, like, uh, this distrust for government. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, um, I really feel that, especially, like, I, I was just home for Christmas, for the holidays for two weeks. My parents are from Mexico, so – um, mm-hmm. We're just, we like from a working class neighborhood. There's like nobody <laughs> trusts the government in anything, not mm-hmm. not Biden, not AOC, no one. Actually, my they my at least the community that I'm around, the, the Mexican people, they don't like AOC at all. <laughs> How interesting! Do, why is that? What, do they say something specific? Well, they 
well, she can't really speak Spanish. Spanish. Well, yeah. So well, did you I, see the protester who protested? Yeah, Spanish at her? I did. I don't think she understood what she said. Oh, but, I was wondering. I like it's not for me to say, but I was like, yeah. I do wonder how much she understands this. But it's not because it's not that they don't like her because she doesn't speak Spanish. It's because she presents her she puts on this latina latina persona but then she can't speak the language <laughs> so then it's like yeah. for for people like my parents it comes off as phony and mm-hmm. they also they do hate the latinx thing they hate it so much they just they but my yeah. parents both voted for bernie but they 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 do hate the latinx thing <laughs> they mm-hmm. just hate it so much yeah it's it's weird i think even maybe she's dropped it at this point i don't know is anybody really still saying it outside of an academic context at this point the only people that i've ever heard say it like to me or around me are like my my white friends and i think they're mm-hmm. just trying to be respectful but it just mm-hmm. you know and i think they're just trying their best they don't you know i don't <laughs> i don't i don't care about it really i don't i also don't really like it but i i don't care but i don't hear anybody else um well look i don't want to like look a lot of a lot of you know second, third, fourth, whatever people, Latinos who've been living in the United States for, you know, whose families have been here forever have stopped. They haven't, they don't know how to speak Spanish. A lot of people yeah. don't speak their parents' language anymore. And that doesn't mean that they're any less Latino or that's right Chinese or whatever they, their parents are or wherever their parents came from. So like, that's not the be all end all of it, but I do, I do see how the optics of her going so hard in the paint and then not having, you know, on some of these like more superficial issues and then not having the some you know the follow through on some of the more substantive things um can be irritating so right i, I get it i get yeah. it yeah all okay. right well thanks for Thank calling you. in yeah. i hope you call in again cat all right thanks. take care Bye-bye. happy holiday you too bye <laughs> bye-bye all right am i going back to the front yes nick what's on your mind tonight uh, Bree, thankfully, I'm going to keep it extremely light for you uh because <laughs> okay. i have what i think is a very fun question but first, um, I've been pitching this joke in my head all day, so I've just got to go for it, uh, which is I, too, am part of the TYT organizing ring. I'm actually showing up to a sanitation workers protest for better rights dressed as Shrek with a Brianna Joy Gray as a fake leftist placard. <laughs> um, so you're, you're, are you dressing up as me? Because there were, you know, there are all those wonderful photoshopped images of me as both a sanitation worker and as a McDonald's drive-through employee. Which no, the, the, to um, the Shrek joke was a reference to Katzenberg. It's a Shrek costume. It's a, it's a ref. Wait, what's the connection between Katzenberg and Shrek? Oh, he created Shrek. He. Oh, I didn't realize He made that, that movie. Andy, you gave TYT millions of dollars to lie about you on the internet, I guess. Oh, so. I don't, I didn't want to say, look, I, I will say this also, like, I have never once in my life criticized TYT for taking money from Katzenberg. I don't know why they believe what they believe over there. I don't know why they were against force the vote. I don't get into that. So I don't, I'm not begrudging anybody else for making whatever arguments they want. But people who are like, why won't you get mad at Jimmy for XYZ? Why won't you get mad? I don't, I don't play that game with anybody's mens rea. Like, I don't know what anybody is thinking or what's motivated anybody. And I can't prove it. I truly didn't I mean to get you started on TYT. I'm sorry? Oh, sorry. I truly didn't mean to get you started on TYT. Oh, That's okay. my we can, fault. We, but, can, uh... we can drop it. I just, yeah, here, yeah. Here, I just don't want it to be said that I was like, because last time I talked to Chank, he was like, you said something about TYT to Jordan Charrington. I'm like, Jordan Charrington might have said something about TYT, but I know nothing about any of that. So. I get it. But but you're going to love this question. I'm so excited about it. Uh, okay. 
So the other week you had on Glenn Greenwald, and as we know, he was famously played by uh, Zachary Quinto in the uh, Snowden movie by Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. And when I was thinking about that, I also thought of that god-awful, like, Showtime James Comey movie with Jeff Daniels, where they've got that, like, completely made-up scene that, like, you know, sir, Mr. Manafort, this is where you'll be conspiring with Jill Stein for the Russians, you know? <laughs> I don't know about that one. Uh, it, the Comey rule, it's a whole, it doesn't matter. But the point oh, is, here's, right. uh-huh. here's my question for you. If a movie gets made about this cultural moment... Who plays Brianna Joy Gray in the prestige uh, Oliver Stone movie? And who plays <laughs> Brianna Joy Gray in the terrible fake Showtime movie? I am not in, any, in either of these. I am erased from history. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. Like, who am I? Who am you're, I? You're, I think you're a bit more impactful than you think. And, like, you should consider this because, like, you, you may regret not having a, a moment to actually say for yourself what you chose. LOL. Well, there's no, I don't feel like there are a lot of, first of all, there's no, they have to be younger than me. And I'm not trying to start, I'm not trying to start colorism discourse, but there are a lot of lovely young black stars, but they are all biracial. (laughs) Well, don't you think like the really bad faith one would just cast you as a white man anyways? LOL. Um, I would have to, when I was younger and, um, narcissistic and used to dream about who would play me in the version of my life where I got famous. Uh, I, I, I used to really like, um, what's her name from scandal? Uh, what's her name from scandal? What's her name? What's her Help name? Help us out chat. Kerry Washington. Thank you. Neoliberal Kerry Washington. Um, I, I saw myself as like a Kerry Washington type, <laughs> but you know, she's obviously like, we're like the same. She's a little older than me. I think. No, I can um, see that. Brianna unchained. <laughs> and I would like no shade to Carrie. I enjoy her performances and think she seems like a very lovely person. But um, I would want a more of a actor's actor, you know, you know. Oh, someone said Janelle Monae, which is the other narcissistic thing that I would say in my head is that I'm a Janelle Monae type. I believe that if I looked perfect, like if I perfected every aspect of my physical appearance, I would look like Janelle Monae. She is the platonic ideal for me personally, physical, ideal, Janelle Monáe, flawless skin, gorgeous face, beautiful. Although, again, God bless her, love her music, I think she's great. I would want more of an actor's actor playing me. No offense. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I thought the um, I thought the girl who played Whitney was very talented in the Whitney movie, but I would love it to be an American actress. Sorry. I would love it to be a black American actress and she's British. Um, and I thought that the woman who played Robin is gorgeous, flawless, and was pretty good as well. I've never seen her in like a lead role situation, but I'd be interested in what she can do. But again, I think that she's like not that far in age for me. And it would probably, this is something that would happen far off in the future. So it would have to be someone who's like, you know, 20 right now. I don't, some enterprising young filmmaker is going to hop on this very so I'm I'm very confident about it. But you know, if if you need to mental if you need to mentally prepare for that being in the far future, I understand. <laughs> All right, I, that was that was a fun frolicking detour. I appreciated that. Of course, you're welcome. Have a great night. You too, Nick. Keep the faith. All right, doop 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 doop. Okay, Sylvester. I feel like we haven't talked in a while. I try to keep new faces in here, but then I sometimes want to treat myself to some Sylvester. So that's what I'm going to do. Unmute yourself, my friend. What's on your mind tonight? Ooh, did I catch Sly off 
off guard. No worries. I'm going to hop back to Serene and Sylvester, get back in line when you're ready. Serene, what's on your mind tonight? Hello. Howdy. Hey, I have a quick question. Does Shama know that she is a soundbite on your soundboard? <laughs> she does. So she called me and we had a chat um, a couple of days before we recorded our episode. And we were like talking about the last episode with Ryan and I told her and she was tickled pink by it. She's like, she said she didn't even rem- remember saying it until she <laughs> saw like the, you know, the, the, the little tweet clip that I tweeted out and she and, yeah. and read that I had quoted her as saying that she's like, did I say that? <laughs> Cause she was That's so, even like, better. That means she blacked out. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. That, that's really it. Okay. Well, thanks for calling in, Serene. Keep the faith. Okay. All right, Michael, what's, in your, what's on your mind tonight? You with us, Michael? You're unmuted, but for some reason, I can't hear you. Hmm. What's going on here, Michael? Something's afoot. I don't know what's happening. There's there's gremlins in the tech. Okay, get back in line and I'll try you again. Okay, Michael. Zeke, what's on your mind tonight? Oh, what just happened? What's going on here? Zeke, what's on your mind tonight? Hello. Hey, Zeke. Oh my bad. Just trying to fix with it. How's it going? I'm doing all right. Let us know what you're thinking about this evening. Uh, I'm keeping it light as well because like I said there's a lot of calls in the queue, and this ties to the, together to today's uh, call about what's 2024 and what's next for the left. Mm-hmm. It's actually a fun thing with pop culture. I'm a okay. DJ in Chicago, so I like to like keep it also fun with folks on hip hop. A big thing is like I've seen is like Cardi. She's amazing on Instagram mm-hmm. as far as like breaking down everyday issues. Mm-hmm. She had a she had a video that went viral like a week ago about the eggs being too damn expensive I for groceries. Yeah. <laughs> so my question is, how do we get like voices like her co-opted by the left and not in like the Democratic machine? Because we know in 2024, like that influencer brand of celebrities is important of like being a great communicator. And I tie it to like Breakfast Club. They always have like black conservatives on. Like, like primarily like Dr. Umar. Mm-hmm. And I was very excited with the other day when I saw Ole Alec on there about like bail reform. Mm-hmm. Like getting a voice like you on the Breakfast Club, like mainstream, like Black America or just Hip Hop America would be very interesting seeing. Or getting someone like Cardi to fully adopt leftist ideals and articulate them because she's a great communicator. Just wanted to like bounce that off of you. Well, you know, Bernie's, uh, Cardi supported Bernie in 2016 and 2020. The issue wasn't co-opting Cardi. The issue is getting Cardi not co-opted by the Biden campaign who got their things in her and got her to endorse Biden in a weird COVID era video back in 2020. So, you know, I, I've been talking about this for a while. I, I love Cardi. Um, I think she's a great messenger. I talked to, I think, Cornell West and um, his old podcast uh, co-host 
probably in the fall of 2020 about this in an early episode. And I also spoke to Boots Riley about this in a two-part episode I did in the fall of 2020. So you can listen to that conversation if you want to get into it more. I feel very strongly that the left should use its media powers and the power of these celebrities who are the only, who are the only vaguely independent people with platforms um, to advocate on our behalf. But, you know, I don't have access to these people. So I don't know who does, but if you're out there and you want to try to get these folks on shows um, and talk to them about left politics in a way that prevents them from getting co-opted in the future, I think that's a worthy goal. I yeah, I think it's great for yeah, I think it's great for branding and just like getting the ideas to like regular people. Because mm-hmm. my, like my friends, they all in the sh- all my female friends, they all in the shade room. They they repost it all day on IG and TikTok. Mm-hmm. But like when Cardi said that stuff about the groceries being too high, I saw them. I saw her communicating that opened up something in them that mm-hmm. like a, a podcast or like a a debate bro can't touch into. She tapped yeah. into like normie like lingo, which is great. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think that's right. I and I I think she's so I think she she gets it and she has stayed grounded so much more than a lot of other celebrities. Um I know that's probably a crazy statement to say to some folks who are like, "Oh, look, she's got like three Christmas trees and luxury <laughs> brands and, you know, WAP or whatever." But, you know, she, she talks about it. real stuff. It is what it is. No, that's what I love about it. I was wanted to bounce it off of you, like really trying to get a lot of black celebrities and just like celebrities in general or like people with big influence to mainstream leftist ideas. And somebody said like Overton window, that's a great way to do that is by mm-hmm. with reaching out to celebs because I'll, the second thing I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll log off is really with hip hop, a lot of them are connected through Atlanta. And mm-hmm. Atlanta right now, of course, the big things with Cop City mm-hmm. and the angle I really want, like hopefully with the episode you do or in the coming days or future is really about like the a- aspect of black excellence. Atlanta, black mayor, large black population, large black uh, population police force. And yet they're they're still using it as cover to cover up poverty, mm-hmm. um, the destruction of the force, environmental racism. Is being led by black people, so that aspect mm-hmm. of black excellence and black neoliberalism is something that's a, a great angle to cover with the cop city on top of the environment, the racism, and just police state overall. Yeah, I saw a TikTok today where there was a guy, a black guy in New York, complimenting these new trash cans are rolling out apparently to get all the trash trash bags off the street. These big green, they look like kind of like the big industrial trash cans that you use when you have a lot of stuff to dump, they pull them up to your house. You know, those but yeah. like shiny and new and apparently they're rat proof. And this guy in the TikTok was talking about how this is great. And mayor Adams, he's not playing around. This is black excellence. This is what he's doing. For New York. And I was like, wow, <laughs> why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, everything's black excellence. I hate it. I, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. So like a hundred percent. And if you have any ideas, Zeke, if you have some hookup at the Breakfast Club or with Cardi B or look, Killer Mike's been great. He's been on the show. Um, I think that sometimes he's a little bit more. I wish he were a little bit more adversarial to black leadership. But, you know, I think he's a, a great ally in all of this. So, you know, hook me up. <laughs> nah, I got no hookups. I mean, I, I have DJ with DJ Envy a few times in Chicago, but like nothing. Is for, I don't have his text, the phone, the, the text or anything like that. But I well, think look, let huge. him know. Nina Turner goes on there a lot too, so who knows what the future may bring. Um, but I completely agree with you, Zeke, and thank you for calling in. 
No, definitely enjoy your night. All right. Keep the faith. Jonathan, what is on your mind tonight? Jonathan, I know you know how to use this app. Yes. Oh, Michael, I haven't forgot about you. I'll come back and get you. Jonathan, what's going on with you, my friend? All righty, well, get back in line. And oh, times. hey, Jonathan, Hello? do you have earbuds in? I can, but do you have earbuds yeah, in? Do I have to? Can you please remove them? You're very faint. Sure. Hello? Is that better? Uh, it sounds the same. At first second it sounded better, and then it sounded like the earphones reconnected. Okay, well, I guess I will just have to get back in. I'll switch it over. Are you sure your earphones are disconnected? Because it just sounds like they're connected. You... Okay. Okay, that's, there you go. There you go. That's 100%. Okay, shoot. A couple times, both in, I just wanted to keep in mind the problem with, like, the Greats Foundation, the Clinton Foundation, the Salvation Army, whatever, is that it's, we all know the biggest problem is that they're big tax havens, tax write-offs for the rich, and they just hire all their friends in a big, elaborate bureaucracy. But the second problem with the second beneficiary of organizations like that isn't just the, the rich that own and run them. It's the people that go to work there. These types of organizations have a way of becoming more about employing people. Like they become more about you and the organization itself than whatever it is their stated like goal is. They spend more of their money on maintaining the bureaucracy, more of their money on fund, uh, fundraising. Mm-hmm. And then once every six months, they send a few mosquito nets to Africa to mm-hmm. sort of pat themselves on the back. But mutual aid isn't something that requires elaborate fundraising organizations, and it doesn't require theory crafting. It does not require sitting in a call-in for hours and hours talking about what we can do to help people. Proximity, like old-fashioned, boring proximity, is what empowers an individual to help other people the most. Most of you live in a city, 80% of you, because that's what cities are. It's the place where 80% of you live. In this crowd, I would be willing to bet it's more than that, which means you're not more than a mile from a homeless person right now. Consider that you're here and not there. So you care more about your own mental health than their physical health. And I'm not, and I know it sounds judgy, and maybe it is a little bit, but I'm here too. Like, your mental health is important. That's all good. But you don't re- need theory crafting to just go do something. Start a carpool at your workplace and undercharge your coworkers for gas. Do the shopping for someone who is not as ambulatory as they used to be. You know what you could do while you're listening to the debrief with Brianna Joy Gray? You could make baguettes or muffins for your neighbors in your apartment building. Now, if that sounds like just so much of a chore right now, if you just can't even, consider that you might just not give a shit, you know? And this, just admit it, and you'll feel better. <laughs> just, it's, it's theory, I, I, get me, I don't want to disparage people who are actually out there doing mutual aid right now. Mm-hmm. You're doing God's work, and a lot of it is thankless. But it does not require elaborate fundraising organizations and like big bureaucracies and people talking and talking and talking. But you're entertaining yourself is what you're doing. And you like to go tell people that you work at a nonprofit. Like it becomes an identity signifier. It becomes just like, you know, like what good people do is go. If you believe that you give a shit about people who aren't you, 
help someone tomorrow and don't tell anyone about it. No one on Colin, no one in your family, none of your friends. Don't post it to Twitter. Don't tell anybody. And if you can't do that, you don't give a shit. And so, like, I, mutual aid is a thing. But, like, I don't come a place like this to talk about mutual aid. I come here to talk about politics, economics, and if I can sneak it in, a little philosophy, you know. But that requires collective action. Mutual aid is actually best done when you just go do it. Like, you're sitting on your ass right now. You could be not doing that, you know. So that's as brief as I could make it. Yeah, Jonathan, I don't think you're wrong. I know it's a, it's a hard truth, but I think about it all the time. I think about it every time I pass a homeless person and, you know, and I'm a millennial. I never have any cash. And I'm like, I'm sorry I don't have cash and I feel like an asshole because it's predictable reality that every time I leave my house, I'm going to walk by a homeless person. And if I cared, I could plan in advance and go to an ATM or go to CVS and get a bunch of small bills out and always have something on hand. You know, there are times when it makes sense. I can go into a store and buy some people things that happens periodically. Yeah. There's a lot of people outside of the CBS all the time. I come out with toiletries or whatever they want. And I get and the logic of makes like, me feel guilt, you know, less guilty in my life. And it but doesn't seem like you're doing anything sometimes. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. feel like you're really, but there's a lot of things that you can do. And if you can't adopt a child and I get it, that's a big ask. Yeah. I get it. Like my sister's adopted like eight, eight kids mm, and it's a, wow. holy shit. She works way too fucking hard. Mountains of laundry. It's insane. But yeah. like, if that's too much to ask and it, and, and I'm not about to do it, not that I would ever inflict my life on another human being, but there are things you can do that are between those two things. Like, and I just, those were just off the top yeah. of my head. And I think that's right. I also think it's fair for people to want to be addressing the systemic issues in addition to the immediate humanitarian concerns. And there, I think there's room for both things to exist. I don't think you have to necessarily chastise people for wanting to be involved in some of the kind of strategy conversations. So I also yeah, do just think that do the messaging work and the political work, it helps people to understand, you know, who, you know, what, what they can, you know, what, what, what the solutions are to more, some of the, some of the more systemic problems that present themselves in electoral context and otherwise. And I think that's important work too, but you know, I'm not going to argue with you. I don't think that you're wrong, Jonathan. Yeah. St. Luke's Methodist church where I went to church as a kid does uh, free food for people every Saturday night. Like go, if you can't go do their dishes, then you don't really give a shit. Just stop pretending like you do. You know, that's all I'm saying. Also, I mean, there are people who are living with their own precarity and who have their own dishes and who are. Yeah, I know. I know. A lot of us are doing our jobs just by doing our, we're we're being underpaid for doing what we should be, you know, we're being undercompensated and literally carrying the weight of people who won't carry their own. When I was driving for FedEx, 18 miles uh, around each way between Cassville and, Marionville, Iowa, just bring somebody a bottle of nail polish. You're like, wow, like this is not efficient. I'm carrying the weight of people who literally can't carry their own. Like, and I'm not getting paid very much for it. Like, yeah, we're all doing our part. And most of us are doing more than should be asked of a person already. But that's the form it's got to take. That's a political reform about how we're going to change the relationships of work to ownership. That's, but that's a political question, not a mutual aid question. So if you're going to mm. parse the two, then, you know, yeah, you get it. Yeah, I get it. Look, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you keeping it kind of brief today, Jonathan. Thanks for calling in. Yep. Thanks. Keep the faith. Oh, Jonathan, I also wanted to say, I was listening to you. I was torturing myself by listening to another podcast on this app. And I heard you weigh in on a force of vote conversation with someone who has a terrible force of vote take. And I wanted to say, I thought that those two people railroaded you and it 
sucked and you were right. That's all I wanted to say. Uh, go ahead, Michael. What's on your mind tonight? I have, a, I have something good for you tonight, so thanks for bringing me back in. I have a successful force the vote story. Oh, um, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And th- I also want to say that I really like today's episode. I had a great panel. And um, I, wanted to add a li- I wanted to add to it a little bit from some of my experience running as a progressive in the, in the Democratic Party on a congressional campaign is um, call time is horribly oppressive. Like uh, it, you're calling all day. And you're getting these lists of like Raytheon uh, donors, and that was one of the things that the candidate on our campaign said was one of the most discouraging things and questioned kind of her desire to run. Um, Also, it's hard to find good infrastructure um, as progressive specifically in your campaign that are qualified Mm -hmm. and... uh, like, I mean, you need your pollsters. I mean, you know, you. Mm-hmm. It's but. tough because a lot of people wouldn't touch a candidate like Bernie because they didn't want to be persona non grata for the rest of their careers. It's very hard to do staffing when you're someone who is so openly oppositional to the establishment. Yeah. And, and in a red state, it's even, um, I, mm. I imagine, harder to, to, yeah. to find people who, who ideologically align with your campaign. And what you find is uh, you, you end up hiring people in and then you're having internal discussions about what's right for policy when you're trying to, I mean, you're trying to convince the masses and you're having their own internal strug- struggles explaining why you shouldn't be supporting Beto O'Rourke or why your campaign song shouldn't be um, chasing that neon rainbow. Anyway, <laughs> um, force the vote, uh, victory story. So um, before all this, uh, in 2018, uh, we were running for uh, state house in uh, like R plus 30 district who hadn't voted uh, blue since FDR. Mm. Um, so there wasn't much chance of winning. And uh, Mina and I were trying to find out what the best impact we can have in this forum. And uh, we decided that the Democratic Party convention was going to be our ticket and we would try to push some policies uh there um and i was able to get uh, to be a delegate there just by virtue of it being a tiny state without a whole lot of democratic support everyone here that uh that's really active is incredibly old Mm. so if you're young and show up they you know they want to hear they want to amplify you a little bit so it's really easy to get in as a delegate um so our plan was uh, to get on committees and push things to the floor to have uh, to get them voted onto the party platform and then use that to push the candidates on these issues later. Um, so I got in the health care committee and uh, I, some things had to align for this to happen this way, uh, to, for it to work out really well. But uh, the, the guy that's supposed to be running the campaign, the, the committee was out campaigning that day. So they had someone fill in because he probably would have shot this down right away. But I said, hey, let's have let's have a vote to get Medicare for all on the platform and uh, on, the, on the party platform. And they're like, oh, no, um, th- this state is too red for that. And I countered with, um, you know, let, let the people decide if it's too mm-hmm. red, because most people are for this policy. We're fresh off a lot of Bernie Sanders momentum. Let's just see what people say. I mean, it can't hurt if you're right. They'll just vote it down. 
Mm -hmm. um, so we were able to get it as a talking point on the floor. And then uh, this is where Mina was brilliant. Um, the, so all the, the, the party leaders, like the people who were elected um, to state house and Senate were explaining why not to do uh, Medicare for all and talking about how ACA was the plan. And then what she did, this is so good. Um, she, she parlayed ACA and said, okay, fine. Let's replace her starting point, her talking point. Let's replace the affordable care act with Medicare for all. Just scrap it and start here. And they didn't want to do that at all. After all the fighting it took to get ACA. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, no, 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 let's not do that. How about if we, they, this is basically what they said. How about if we, uh, instead of getting rid of ACAs, keep ACA, ACA as our active platform and state that our, uh, that ideally what we'd like is Medicare for all. And then there was a vote and it got passed. Hmm. So it was on the, it was a Medicare for all was on the, Democratic Party platform in the red state of South Dakota for two years until they took it off. Who took it off? Um, whoever voted next time. I mean, uh, mm. it, it, we had to, it was like pulling teeth to get, to get it in the first that's, place. Look, that's so interesting. What a great story. Thanks for calling in with that, Michael. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, I know that I think that that's probably a, a pattern that it's going to continue to repeat because people are very attached to the idea of the ACA. Obviously, a lot of the attacks that Bernie got in 2020 were about you're attacking Obama's legacy. Um, but it's interesting that framing it as an ideal in the alternative uh, is what right. got it on there. So whatever works. And this is a ballot initiative state, too. So um, it's not a far cry to it, it, even though it's a red state, it's a populist state like they voted for uh marijuana so mm -hmm. if you get a ballot initiative with medicare for all on a smaller state like this and it succeeds then it's just it can take you know it, it, with a working model you can have copycat states and whatnot so that was kind yeah. of the hope at the time yeah well thank thank you thank you for a little silver lining in the day michael we'll we'll, we'll forget the part about how they took it back off <laughs> yeah we will my bad <laughs> all right bye. keep the faith my friend thanks for that you too bye 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 all right, Cousin Eric, you're up. What's on your mind tonight? Oh, nothing much. Just, you know, listening and stuff. Um, yeah, so about the future of the left. Mm -hmm. From now on, I mean, at this point, the left should actually really be anti-capitalist through and through. And don't apologize. Okay, I don't think there's going to be a lot of disagreement there. Yeah. And um, let's see. So on top of that, also not only about mutual aid and important stuff like that, but there's also but also a need for like real like education, not this schooling bullshit. How do you mean? So, you know, all this stuff we can't tell, you know. Uh, especially with me being in Florida and whatnot and different things mm -hmm. like that. So. You're, you're saying with the bans on, you know, yeah, teaching about race and all of that stuff. Yeah. That's, that must be tough. You're, do you teach math? Has it affected you much or just your colleagues? Uh, it's affected. Well, we lost 54 math books over it, but 
Uh, even math books. What what kind of stuff is in the math books that's getting censored? We all looked. Don't know. Wow. Wow. That's wild. That's so wild. But anyway, <laughs> um, apparently this came up. Mm-hmm. This actually goes to you, and I'll address that later. But I'm going to ask Bree about this because apparently this came up in a chat of mine. So apparently I'm looking at one of my chats. And apparently somebody wanted to know if you were part of Marriott Williamson's Exploratory Committee. I am not. Oh. I have nothing to do with any of it. Ah. Well, there goes your answer, person who asked in chat. And yeah. So. So anyway, apparently... This whole thing and apparently this whole thing that's been going on in this chat, claiming that I called you a fraud or whatever. I don't need to uh, respond to the chat. You don't have to defend uh, defend yourself in the chat from the chat. No, ain't about defending myself from the chat. It's just saying, look, you and I have had this conversation multiple times before, so it's not like it's anything new. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. what do you what so what's uh what do you what are you saying? What's what's your thought? No, no, it's just that when it's just the whole issue apparently when I when I have this trust issue and stuff like that and I talk about looking on my shoulder, I'm like, Well, I can't help it, you know. <laughs> I can't help it given that, you know, I'm going to be interacting with other people who may ask me sometimes for stuff or whatever for like my opinion on stuff or whatever. But like I said, even some students want to please you to the side sometimes and ask you what you think about something or, you know, little stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah. So did you, did you have any other questions for me or oh. anything you wanted to get off your chest? Well, I would just say like, I would just say that it's not it's not so much like a lot a lot of people like hate you or anything. That's a I relief. Would, I would, huh? <laughs> I, Sorry, go ahead. No, I wouldn't say a lot of people hate you. I would just say like there's so much distrust, people just don't want to be like fucked up all over again. Mm-hmm. And it's and people only take so much. But whatever. No, I get that. I completely understand people not wanting to go down a kind of a Bernie rabbit hole again and, you know, not wanting to get excited about anybody, including Marianne. So I completely respect that position. All right. All right. right. Okay. Well, thanks for calling in, Cousin Eric. Uh, No problem. I got to keep it quick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I appreciate that. All right, take care. Okay, uh, how about uh, Morgan? How are you doing tonight, Morgan? I'm doing good, Bree. How are you doing? 
I'm doing all right. What's in your mind tonight? Well, one thing originally, but it kind of shifted when I heard some other callers. Um, really, it relates to the direction of the left. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I often think that, like, really the only question worth answering is, like, how can we unify working people that mm-hmm. align not just with our existing models of, of you know, moralistic good on the left, but but just people who are working who are having a bad time of it, mm-hmm. which let's be honest is pretty much everyone, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I just wonder if the future of the left is maybe not defining itself so much as the left. Um, and like, I don't know, I was thinking a little bit when Zeke called in talking about um, the tweet by uh, Cardi about mm-hmm grocery prices and that kind of turned my mind on to something that I don't think about often which is just you know the effect that um just pop culture sensations have on people of all sorts of different political background you know um like another time I thought about this recently was Taylor Swift versus Ticketmaster in this bizarre twist Mm -hmm. of reality where like the Ticketmaster monopoly is threatened by a bunch of people who really love Taylor Swift's music. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny and kind of weird, but, but it, the more I, I think about it, like the, the power really lies in things that we can depoliticize mm-hmm. for better or for worse when it comes to working people uniting it. I've just been thinking about this a lot recently with what's going on in France. And every time I see like a successful organization of mm-hmm. working people in another country, I kind of think like, okay, what's going on there that's not going on here? And obviously with France, there are lots of different confounding variables. They're much smaller, you know, they're, they're like, uh, they have a history of doing this sort of shit. Like, um, you know, they're not, they, they have, they have healthcare, they, they have free time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're relatively more empowered as a population, but like, it seems like most working people in countries like this are willing to get together and do things that are, significantly threatening to establishment powers mm-hmm. and that is really specifically chosen choice of words i'm sure you appreciate but like um earlier there was this there's this like tweet interaction i saw between like one of the union heads in france of a power company that was threatening shutting off power to several wealthy neighborhoods and i was just floored at the mm-hmm at the coordination that these working people had in this other country <laughs> to, to, to like do exactly what needed to be done. I was that's like, oh wild. Like, yeah. That's, like, that's sort of fucking wild. Right. <laughs> like, like what the fuck are we, doing? <laughs> you know, and then, and here's the thing. I think back to our previous news cycle where, where we're talking about domestic terrorists blowing up power stations. And I'm uh-huh. like, wait a second. They can just we turn it off. Crisscross, don't we? <laughs> because, like, we're doing the same things here. It's just we call it right-wing extremism, which it often mm-hmm. is. I'm not I'm not trying mm-hmm. to dog whistle or anything, but, like, it just perplexes me and it frustrates me because, like, we see that intent present in a certain segment of our working class here in America, but it's never unified. And it's, it, it's, and it's almost never coordinated large-scale you know, by the left or by the right, even really. I mean, like January 6th is like maybe an extreme representation of something like that being coordinated by the right. But even that wasn't anywhere near a majority of working people. It was just, you know, mm-hmm. the small minority of, of, of people who are pissed off about the wrong things, but fundamentally who are pissed off for the same reasons, which is that they're poor and they can't get health care and their jobs are gone and it's fucking hard to live, you know? 
Yeah. Um, and so I guess I just has been a little bit of rant. I'm sorry. I've been smoking a lot of. No, weed not at all. That's like the fact I, that's I love that anecdote. It's just it's such a it's 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 amazing when you when you can feel that like a, a part of your brain unlocks. I'm thinking to myself, why didn't it even occur to me that we could live in a world where there was solidarity with the people who are like running the power and then right, just right, right, turn like, it off yeah. for elites, you know? Like, <laughs> Those people that ex- exist and they're probably pretty cool, you know? <laughs> yeah, like what? I mean, this crept in a little bit for the railroad strike because it was one of these sectors that are so instrumental to the re- functioning of the economy. That it became very obvious how much power working people have um, in a way that some of these, you know, other actions don't necessarily grind everything to a halt. Although, of course, teacher strikes and nurses strikes and all these things are incredibly impactful. We just have this media infrastructure here that generates antipathy for the people on strike in a very efficient way. And, you know, it it requires real solidarity to push back. It processes frustration and anger that it, it itself creates, right? This is like kind of the fundamental philosophy of critical theory you know not critical race but critical theory is just is that capitalism really thrives when people are up against it you know when people are in constant states of crisis and i think we're just really good with that here where like our media is perfect for that and other countries have realized this too you know like when we talk about the effect of uh you know tiktok algorithms on our youth that like that could you know be campaigns by china or or you know like uh, facebook campaigns that we pay russian like like hacking and botnet like servers to to run in our country like we just present a very easily fragmented working class morgan 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 they cut you off they didn't like what you were saying The powers that be just said no to Morgan. Okay, Morgan, I loved what you, I was picking up what you were putting down. I love everything you had to say, but maybe it's for the best. I see neoliberal speaker has invited himself up. Welcome, neoliberal tears. <laughs> hey, Beth. Good to see you. Um, well, it's good to see you, too. Uh, I've also invited Lysol up so you guys can share this space. What's on your mind, neolib? Well, right now, uh, I had um, an interesting Jayapal insight uh, that mm. I picked uh, that I had to share with you. Um, but now that I see it's 11.05, I'm pretty sure it's your bedtime. So I, I would my magical powers to sort of, um, do we give her four more minutes, fam, before we... Oh, you're the best. I was going to say something along that lines too. Uh, I, well, I appreciate you, you all looking out for me and my you well-being. I still have to go to the gym before I go to sleep well, too. I want you, you to the- know we're always here for you. Always. You were like very chill when we first got on the call. And I thought like maybe she's like enjoying the deep satisfaction of a fucking amazing um, episode, which it was an amazing episode. I'm incredibly inspired. Despite mm-hmm. what I wants to think about that type of stuff. And then you immediately said like how people have been treating you like shit. And I would just like to clarify for the trolls in the chat that when you hear somebody say I've had a bad day, maybe you should chill the fuck out. Well, like you guys are so sweet. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, the other dynamic is that I just watched uh, the 2019 Pretty Woman for the first time and was uh, crying. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have said that. You what that is happening? <laughs> we need a law. I was, we need I was a law. fully... I was, I was stressed out and angry, and then I tried to decompress by watching a movie, but then the movie made me cry. <laughs> 
<laughs> Who was in it? No, no. I bet they tried to bury that shit at CAA because they knew they were gonna inflame the populace. What? What? Who was in it in that remake? Who would you even, Julia? Um, Little Woman. It's with it's the Sir oh, Sersha Sersha Ronan. What's her last name? Yeah, that's with her and uh, Hermione oh. and um, what's her face? Um. The blonde from the horror movie that's good. That's not helpful to anybody. <sighs> I need mean? to get a Emma Watson reference. Florence Pugh. Oh, thank, Florence you. thank you. Florence Pugh from the Midsummer, right? Yes, the horror Midsummer, movie. exactly. And the fourth girl who uh, plays Beth, who gets killed off and who is not a noticeable actress, which I thought was a hilarious casting choice. <laughs> They're like, she's dying anyway. We're going to cast a no name actress. <laughs> um, that's not a spoiler. It's a book that was written in like the 19th century. So everyone can just get over it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, you know, but look, I, 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 it was a long interview today. I think it was a good interview. I appreciate Vosh shitting for it, but you know, these things are a little taxing and it's fine. I apologize for being short tempered with everybody. I apologize, but... girl. Stop it. What? Why are you doing it? No. no. Rihanna no, Jose is not allowed to. No. At the end of the day, I'm responsible for my own behavior, no matter what kind of day I've had. So, you but I appreciate you too. Gave him some tender love and care. <laughs> I got to ease out and into sleep like a baby. You treated him with <laughs> gloves, and that was very nice of you. That's well, you guys are great. Did you have anything like you know something that you wanted to yes. say at all? Yes. Okay, um, go for it. But first of all, come come hell or high night, foe, we're always going to be there for you. So just try. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Jayapal insight that just occurred to me. So mm-hmm. um, Jonathan and I were going over her Marianne interview back, you know, when she gave her one after forced mm-hmm. to vote. And I'm sorry, I should have said trigger warning, Pramila Jayapal, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and the crazy, I picked up on something she was saying. Because um, Marianne, you know, she was, they were, she was gearing up to push her. Sorry, I'm not gonna, this isn't about Marianne, guys, don't worry. And, <laughs> you know, she... Pramela, you know, Pramela was, uh, sorry, Marianne was, was telling her, you know, so most of our issues have, I've never seen uh, the base so cynical in my entire lifetime, the democratic base. The problem started before Trump. And Pramela was responding to her um, at a certain point and said, yes, I agree. You know, Marianne, we actually, you know, after 2016, we lost young people. We lost non-voters and non-frequent voters. We lost these people. The reality is they're not a part of our base anymore. We have to figure out how to communicate to them and get them back. But the reality is they're not our base anymore. Mm-hmm. And now I realize, listening back to it the second time, I was like, oh, she was making an argument in terms of like why, who, who they, who Pramila Jayapal, AOC and Jamal Bowman, who they see as their base right now. Mm. And that's not us. That may not be the people who gave them $10, like Jonathan, who couldn't, who could barely afford to and sent money to AOC to Bernie. Like mm. they, they have framed it in their own mind. Oh, I'm making the MSNBC pivot. I'm, I'm an AOC from her fundraising. You can, you can see she readjusted. Like they should, they have a whole new fundraising stream that does not rely on independent media. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll say is I think that's why they felt so comfortable disciplining journalists who mm-hmm. gave them non-favorable coverage. And that's mm-hmm. what that is. And that's why I think AOC really miscalculated. If she was a m- much more brilliant narcissist, 
I would have cleaned the fuck up. I would have showed up to the, and that's if I'm still a narcissist. I would have shown up to the Force of Town Hall in my best outfits, and I would have come up with a good answer and say, I completely understand the urgency. This is what I'm concretely going to do in the next six months to ensure that Medicare for all or, or lowering the Medicare age. Remember that? Pramila mm-hmm. was on that page for a second until, mm-hmm. until then. So what I'm saying is for their own self-interest, they sh- like for their own self-interest, they should have done, they should have handled it so differently. But the mm-hmm. fact they chose to punish you and Katie and Katie, who dares punish fucking Katie Halper? <laughs> Corey Bush went on Katie Halper. AOC mm-hmm. went on Katie Halper. She's a genius her mm-hmm. takes are always on point how de- even her 100%. no interviews in two years so in a way i feel like we as the audience as the choir we take our role really seriously and what we think is that the squad fucks up here like mm-hmm. and we are we have not forgiven them for that for doing that to the independent media community because at the end of the day they divided us more than anyone named Jimmy Dore. And I still want to see those mm. t-shirts, Ray. Um, I'm not Jimmy Dore. I'm happy to help. You know, just call on me and I'll manifest, okay? L-O-L, you're too funny. Yeah, I, look, I have made reference to that interview, but I haven't listened to it in a while, and you're making me want to go back and re- re-listen, because I remember it for the Please. silliness yeah. of the excuses from Jayapal, but not the wholesome total of the interview, which I recall being good, but I just don't remember the specifics. So maybe I'll maybe I'll give it a new re-listen before um, also, Marianne comes back on the podcast, whenever that is. I'd love that. Also, Jonathan and I um, covered it in one of our shows. So you know, oh, well, ever, I'll just take a listen bored. to that. Perfect. Tell tell the audience what the name of your show is again, so that people here can go and listen. Of course. Oh my God. Oh, the the microphone. It's turned. What am I doing? <laughs> um, it's called Watch Fresh Hell. We see a lot of you. Guys audience um um and uh i'm gonna I'm pu- I'm, i'll put the link in the chat um we we some one of our plot devices is time travel so we do go back and listen to like <laughs> we, the jayapal interview to george santos and how pramila and george santos actually have a lot in common they just they mm-hmm. don't know it yet um wait did she really interview george santos oh no no pramila and george have a lot in common we talked oh, about I see. Okay, I, I gotta listen to that. But what does it mean to be a lying politician anymore? You know, like what is the, what is the difference between George and Pramila? You know, but um, I don't know. Do you what do you make of the George Santos discourse? Do you care? Is it like <sighs> is it a nothing burger? Is it fun? I don't know. I do like it's fun. It's obviously fun. It's obviously I've brought Jonathan up too since we're talking about your guys's podcast. We might as well kill all the birds with one stone here. Um, it's obviously fun. It's hard for me to, like, care that much. I mean, of all the things that politicians lie about, this is, like, weirdly not substantive. I mean, he's obviously not good, and I wouldn't trust him further than I would throw him. But, you know, I do think there's something to the fact that it has captured the public imagination in a way that so many other substantive things that Republicans have done wrong haven't. I have had, you know, Uber drivers, like, randomly bring up, oh, have you heard about the Santos thing? Like, it is, like, a funny story. That is also part of me thinks it's frustrating that MSNBC and them have been able to like narrative spin around George Santos in a way they can't narrative spin around like us not having health care. Oh. So totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and the, and the Santos thing is an attempt to kind of other him by relating him to drag queens. I kind of feel like it's a right wing on Santos attack. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is a little awkward. It's like, are you are you you know, is this are you pointing out the hypocrisy of Santos 
being part of a party that's literally banning drag right now, even though he has dressed in drag and been a drag performer? Or are you just making fun of him because he's like a man in a dress? You know, liberals are something he's done to implicate anybody else. I think that's what it is. I'm sorry. I think it's that he it's something that he has done that doesn't implicate anybody else, whether it's on the monetary. I mean, I'm still pretty sure we're going to find out him and Sam Bankman Freed are attached in some way. Just cause so, <laughs> they were spending so much money. I mean, him and the other founder, what, like 80 million between the two of them? Like it, some of it must have sloshed in his account. Where'd the 675,000 come from? That's what we should be talking about. Yeah, I, I, someone tweeted that they think that this is the tip of the iceberg of the story and that all the money is going to be the real thing. And I think that that could very well be true. We'll see. Jonathan, do you have anything on your mind? Uh, well, I don't want to keep you from the gym or anything. I, uh, you know, it was, and I was, I'm grateful you called me up here as well. Um, just, uh, I mean, this was a banger an episode, like a Marvel superhero team up. <laughs> every, every point it touched on was super important and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, also, you know, the guy I mentioned last time, Rohan Gray, uh, if you could keep him front of mind for if the debt ceiling thing comes up on, uh, rising. <laughs> He was he was with um, with uh, what's her name Stephanie Kelton on John Stewart's The Problem, uh, same guy. Okay, uh, I desperately want to do a debt ceiling episode, uh, so I'm going to take this note. Um, That's your guy. That's absolutely your guy. He's he's the best one out there, and he's really trying to push it. And it it is important because it looks like they are like Biden and Yellen are basically deliberately dismissing the mint the coin option uh it looks to me like they are trying to use this as an excuse to make the cuts to social security and medicare and medicaid they've always wanted to make mm-hmm. and okay. that's why they're refusing i'm definitely gonna i'm definitely gonna reach out because didn't didn't fidel kaboob i think he can't do podcast anymore because of a new position i think as a deal yeah that was one of my favorite economists down and then well, well have- yeah rohan's a friend of his Rohan is is absolutely in that same orbit. So, yeah. Okay, perfect. Excellent. Done. Thank you for the reminder. I just took the note. Awesome. I sent sent his uh, info to you in DM. And, like, I don't know if his DMs are – yeah, I don't know if his DMs are open, but if they're not, I can start a three-way chat for you like I do for Grumbine. Okay. Oh, you're such a gem. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Neoliberal Tears, for holding down the fort and doing such great podcasts and being such Twitter vigilantes. I am solidly logged <laughs> off for the next yeah. couple of days. Um, and Lysol, oh, so thank good. you. <laughs> I'm sorry. So Enjoy yourself. I'm going to do just a couple of more because um, for gender parity reasons, I see Shelly is at the front and I also saw a new face in the back, L. So I'm going to do Bruce, those two and then log out. Can I say one more thing real quick? Yeah, sure. You, last week you were talking about either doing shorter shows or doing one episode a week. Mm-hmm. I one episode a week and then we'll do like a support group the other night because we're all going to have nothing to do with that point in our nights anyway (laughs) and we'll call it like debrief anonymous or something i like that you know i mean one thing i was thinking was that i do i feel like i need to stream more um to grow the channel and i don't stream like i never live stream and a thing i could do like live streaming when you have to like have guests and do a proper show is tiring but live streaming with that's just this but with the camera which i've done a few times is not difficult. So what I think if I can, if I can make the second show killing two birds with one, sh- with one stone um, and just 
do it that way, that might make it worthwhile. I mean, not like worthwhile, but you know, it might make me feel more like I'm getting more yeah. out of the time or yeah. whatever, you know? Totally. It'll give us an excuse to dress up too. <laughs> well, you guys won't be on camera. Although there is, a, <laughs> there is a video option in the app, but I, I, the beauty of this is that I can sit here with my um, makeup tear stained face from me having weirdly emotional tears around the sister dying and the beautiful moment when Spoiler the alert. father who for some reason is played by Bob Odenkirk finally comes home from fighting in the civil war. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks guys. Yep. Keep the faith. I'm jettisoning you all, including you neoliberal tears, sneaky link. All right. Um, so I'm going to go to, L, what's on your mind tonight? Are you with us still, yeah. L? Can can you can hear you me? Yes, loud and clear. What's on your mind? Um, a lot. I'll try and keep it brief. Um, let's start off with some funny stuff because to get your mood going. Um, okay. Uh, a few weeks ago, you said Harvard is no better than an education at Rutgers. I want to say that's one hundred and ten percent true. Um, and now that I've outed myself as a New Jerseyan, um, I kind of want to go on to the point of why or my my suspicions as to why I'm blocked on Twitter uh, from Amani Oakley. Oh, interesting. OK, very, very interesting. Um, and just some background, I I knocked doors for Bernie in all four early states, one Super Tuesday state, my home state. I was a deputy campaign manager for a congressional challenger in 2020 and um i was involved on the leadership channel for the force the vote slack mm. so uh if you need an exclusive interview for your book that you're writing mm -hmm. I'm, I'm your girl the only requirement is you tell ryan nanny nanny poo poo <laughs> okay um, i think i think i can manage i can probably manage that <laughs> Um, but, but my point is, you know, the reason you called on me, like you said, uh, gender parity reasons. And I think the reason I don't, like I said, I don't know the exact reason as to why I'm blocked on, on Twitter, but it's a long story and it, it sounds petty at first, but it comes back to the point where, um, why women aren't involved in politics. Mm. Um, and so my, what I, what I believe is the reason why I'm blocked is, I stopped interacting with the posts and tweets of an organization that she was involved with or related to. And just because I stopped interacting or liking with the posts, I got blocked. And the reason I stopped interacting with the posts because I had an, a, a, a personal issue with someone involved on that and that org. And this person that I had an issue with, um, we worked on we worked on the congressional campaign together, right? And I, at one, at one point in the campaign, I told the candidate, I cannot work with this person anymore. We are not working together. And then uh, later I found out that I wasn't the first woman to say, I can't work with this person. Mm. Um, in fact, the, the first person to say it is actually one of the most effective organizers in North Jersey. Mm. Um, and so that kind of leads me to my question of like, what do you like well first I think 
one of the biggest problems in the left is that, um, and this is, you know, why I kind of want to give you an interview for the force the vote slack. Um, women just don't feel safe. Mm. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff that goes on behind the doors and women just don't feel safe. Um, I, when I would tell uh, this story to a, a handful of friends, the, the reaction I got was, yeah, that's kind of why I left politics. And I mean, you see it, I, I, I'm kind of curious what your gender demographics are and why you think they're that way. And what we can do, what, what do you think we need to do to obviously change that uh, disparity, but, but more so, am I alone here in thinking that one of the biggest problems is that women just don't feel safe in organizing spaces? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I certainly, I don't think I'm the one with the most expertise to opine on how organizing spaces feel. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't describe myself as an organizer. I haven't done that much in-person work and the Bernie campaign was my first political job, you know, so I don't, I don't want to pretend to be able to opine on that, but I, I don't have like real demographics. Like I don't know what percentage of the patrons are male or, you know, or whatever gender or I know that YouTube gives you a gender breakdown, but that's only for people with who've logged in with YouTube accounts, you know, so it's skewed, but it is overwhelmingly male. That being said, given that I don't know about the interpersonal dynamics because I haven't been in that many organizing spaces, uh, it seems to me that as a, as a commentator in this space, that you do have to have a high tolerance for um, confrontation there's a lot of bullying. There's a lot of like debate me culture. There's a lot of um, patronizing attitudes and talking down to people and claiming of authority. And the claiming of authority thing is a big one. I mean, there are a lot of people who are like 20 and 25 and have no experience or knowledge of anything, but they'll hop on a mic because they have opinions and they'll start a show and they're male. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the Vanguard guys are great. Like I, that, I think there's nothing wrong with that. But I think women are less inclined to feel empowered to do that. I just think that that's true. I look at someone like Bausch and I think about how he's, I think he's only like 25, but he has a big beard and he has a deep voice that sounds like he, you know, does voiceovers for the nature channel. And there's something very authoritative about it. And I think about, and, and that, that's not shade at all. I'm just like describing what I think part of his appeal is. It's not right or wrong. It's just, I think it's true. He has a very like, professional, authoritative, like knowledgeable, just sound to him, what we imagine people who know what they're talking about sound like. And I think that that disadvantages women sometimes. I think it dis disadvantages non-white people sometimes. Um, and that's, and I, I think that is true of people who are commentators in the space. And I think it's, it's true of people who are participating. I think that people feel like maybe politics isn't for me for those same re the same reasons that people feel like I shouldn't be doing politics. Like I shouldn't be listening to politics. I shouldn't be doing politics. And I look at kind of like the background and credentials of people who are maybe from less, from more, let's say, you know, less stereotypically political backgrounds. And they think they tend to be a lot more credential. Like there's credentials that make up like, you know, education or professional credentials that make up for the not being a white man-ness of it all. And it's interesting for me to observe. I see someone like Eliami, who is like not only quick-witted and funny, but a 
practicing public defender for years, obviously a lawyer and very knowledgeable in the ways in which she's sometimes not respected at, online and talked over and talked down to and not taken out her word. And I, and I look at the confidence with which some people move through the space based on nothing and the way that I've had to work myself up for two years to have the chutzpah to say, you know, I don't think you should vote for Biden. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, like and, and, and that's not to say that it's like, I don't know if it's right or wrong to be more or less confident or to be more or less cautious. But I do think that they're the same way that women like, you know, don't ask for raises. That that's a little bit of that dynamic is happening in this space. Yeah, I mean, um, what, what has been your response to having having Bosch on the podcast? I know it's kind of been. Mixed. I logged off and watched uh, Little Women. <laughs> so I, I look, I wouldn't have announced. He tweeted it. I would have waited till Thursday to say anything about it because I would like to be able to defend what was said on the episode instead of Absolutely. people randomly deciding that they are going to like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't give a fuck about anybody's uninformed opinion. You know what I mean? You don't know what it says. So I am not going to engage. I muted the thread. I muted a bunch of people immediately. If you had a big opinion about Vosh, enjoy it. I will never see anything that you're going to say for the rest of your life because you're muted and I'll never unmute you. <laughs> like, I just don't have the energy for it, you know? Oh, um, no, absolutely. Um, so pod- podcasters can get get a bit much these days. Yeah. So I like again. I don't. You know. I don't blame anybody for it. But I don't. I can't. I don't have the space for it. So again, I would not have said anything about it. But he tweeted it out, so I went ahead and retweeted it because it was going to be out there. Yeah. Um, no. Absolutely. I just kind of wanted to get your opinion to yeah. con- confirm my suspicion that maybe <laughs> yeah. you, you. It's it's a little uh, controversial this episode. Yeah. And look. I, I felt it was necessary to talk to him in part because there was something awkward about him having come on rising, which I didn't realize was going to happen to that morning. Not, oh, not so far to the producers, but I just didn't read the call sheet into that morning. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the comment. I uh, subscribed to your Patreon because of that pro kill 13 year olds. Oh, that was you. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Been you a, it's, been, it's been, it's <laughs> been, it's been a lot. It's been a wild, it's been a wild 2023. Um, but, but we're looking we're looking towards 2024. We're looking towards 2024. And so, yeah, I thought it was – I felt like, like once once it was on – it was happening, I'm like, okay. And the interview was very cordial. And so I reached out to him immediately after. I was like, well, I wouldn't necessarily have thought – and I wouldn't necessarily have chosen this. But now that we've spoken, I think it makes sense for us to, like, address the elephant in the room, which is that you've had all of these criticisms of me that were pretty significant. Um, and we should talk them out. And he was very gracious about doing so. And so we had the conversation. Well, we all know that you do an incredible job at, you know, bringing disagreeing parties together. Um, I think that's a big reason why we all love you. Um, Also, why you probably get a lot of hate, too. Um, And I just lost my train of thought. Um, I don't want to keep anymore. I've I've been on here long enough. I got my spiel out. Mostly, uh, the most important thing is that interview. I'm very serious about that. Yes. Well, um, because, I mean... Again, some insight. Uh, Nick Brana came in, called the Slack channel a power vacuum, and folks took that and ran with it. What does that and mean? It's exactly, it's whatever you want it to mean. You, you come into an organizing space and you call it a power vacuum, and then you know exactly what's going to happen. He, he, was, he was trying to turn the force the vote momentum into the activist arm of his third party. 
So you think that that that's that's what that's the criticism that Ryan Graham was making it was specifically about um the things that Nick was saying in the chat? I think Ryan just wanted a story. Hmm. I mean, and, and, you're saying that there was a, there was truth to that 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 was kind of the energy that Nick was bringing into the chat. Um, as a as as someone in a leadership position, I think it was extremely irresponsible to go into an organizing space at a very high tense moment and say, "This is a power vacuum. Good luck." <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing, and I'm, I'm sure it's slightly. Uh, exaggerated but but that's that's kind of what happened and um i can tell you why it imploded um why is that uh people that knew what they were doing left why because it was dangerous Mm. it wasn't safe there was there was one person that said you know they were they were very involved like on a day-to-day basis and said, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry. This has become too dangerous for me. I have CPTSD. Best of luck to y'all. Mm. Well, look, there's, it's definitely worth having a, that's, it's a very serious issue and serious accusations. And we, I don't want to cut you off, uh, but we should recircle back to that when we have more time to get into some of the specifics there. But like, I really appreciate you calling in L and for participating in that organizing effort. That was a real organizing effort at the time. I hate that people kind of brush over that, but a lot of people mm-hmm. put a lot of time and energy and into actually why, doing something. And and that's why you you can't stop talking about it. You really can't. And you get a lot of hate. Well, I mean, you know, you you lo- you lose money when you talk about it. You've said this before. Um, but but the the, the <laughs> truth is that there was an incredible amount of momentum that could have turned into something, and there are reasons why it didn't. Yeah. 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 And let's I'll leave you with that. Like I said, you got to say nanny nanny poo poo to Ryan <laughs> and the story's yours. Thank you, Al. I appreciate you. Keep Thank the you, faith, Ray. friend. Keep the faith. All right, Shelly, wrap us up. What's on your mind? Uh, hey, Bree. Um, I was hoping we could talk about Marianne for the next hour. <laughs> Look, you can talk, you can ask a Marianne question or say your Marianne thing. There's no, no there's no prohibition <laughs> no. against it. Not for I, an hour, but like, for look, I, I know seven I, minutes. We've, we've talked about it. It's you know, I've I've said my piece. I don't I don't understand when we keep relitigating it, but whatever. Um, well, no, I just wanted to say I thought that your episode was uh really really great. Um, I mean, I I enjoyed all the panelists. I didn't agree with any of them one hundred percent. That's that's an ideal situation, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, and I think that that's the case, and. I also, just because Vosh just got brought up in this last thing, he, uh, and you know, I've, I openly identify as a communist. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of times that he spends on a ton of his energy just going against people that think like me. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever I saw that tweet, oh, whew, just got finished with a three-hour conversation about Bree. Number one, I thought it was kind of rude. For him to put it out there. I mean, I could tell that he put it out there without you putting it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of my reaction was, okay, whatever. I mean, like, how is it that um, I just kind of continually find myself in this space on the left where I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, well, everyone should be able to talk to each other and, and you know, hopefully people can work out their differences and, 
you know, people can find things to agree on or issues to agree on. They can find ways to work with each other. And for some reason, like my ideology consistently gets painted as being the most intolerant type of leftist. And I'm literally just sitting here like, okay, yeah, yeah. we have issues we can work on. Let's work on them. I'll work with the Libertarian Party. I'll work if the Democrats, if they ever do a damn thing right. <laughs> I, you know, I'll be happy to kind of go, like, okay, I, I can support you on this issue. And I just don't understand why it is that we have to have just kind of like this really like bitter divide, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really good question and something that occupies at least an hour <laughs> talk with Vash, it's like this question of why there isn't more yes anding on the left or if you disagree with somebody's approach figuring out how to make it even better or say I'll go with you to this point but then I'm going to break off and why there's so much um, you know I disagree with you so you must be a fascist or like I assume that you're acting in bad faith and I, and I, I gotta say like even though there may be legitimacy, I mean, like, we know that money talks, and I'm not going to sit here and say that Katzenberg money didn't have any effect or anything like that. But, like, I think it's just not necessarily good practice for us all to be in the mindset of constantly questioning each other's motives, not because people don't have bad motives sometimes, but because it prevents us from making arguments. You have mm -hmm. to make arguments. You don't seem like a good faith actor if everyone's just impugning everybody else's motives all the time. You have to make an argument for your case. The, all of the talking about Jimmy Dore and not force the vote, that was people not actually making arguments about force the vote and why it was and was or wasn't good. And there are people who to this day don't even understand the basic mechanism because there were too many people talking about humans and motives and not about arguments. And I, and look, I'm not saying it's all this. I don't think it's equivalent to like be mad about Jimmy Dore and not support for as a vote to be mad at TYT and be mad about the Katzenberg money. I'm not saying that those are equivalent, but I do think that like we all live in this space of like a thing with Vash and I spent a lot of time in is that, you know, he's done many YouTube videos about me and the fact that he thinks that I am courting fascists in the right wing and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And if I say that Marjorie Taylor Greene is right to abolish the FBI, that I am empowering Marjorie Taylor Greene in a way that is dangerous and opening the door to literal Nazism. Right. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if you actually think that I'm a Nazi, you probably shouldn't be talking to me or, you know, you should be trying to shoot me or something. And if you at least punch me, <laughs> And if you don't think I'm a Nazi, then what are you doing? What's the rhetorical benefit of you taking one of the small handful of people with a platform to talk about all of these issues that you purport to care about, who, you know, the Bernie, the Bernie Sanders agenda or whatever it is, and characterizing me as one of the worst people in America? I mean, at some point you have to acknowledge that even if you think I'm being hyperbolic and saying Marjorie Taylor Greene was right in order to get the attention of a more conservative audience – you're being hyperbolic and saying Brianna Gray is a fascist in order to get the attention of your neoliberal audience. And how, why are you better? At least I'm attacking, at least I'm making an, attacking someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene and trying to move people to the left. You're attacking me, a self-described socialist and trying to do what exactly? Just demobilize people, get people to do nothing, get people to not force the vote, get people to keep voting for Biden, keep people to keep, get people to keep reinforcing the status quo. Yeah. And, you know, we go around and around and around on that for a long time. But I think that's a fundamental problem that, like, just say the part that you disagree with. Oh, I would prefer if Brianna didn't, didn't use the Marjorie Taylor Greene is right aspect of her radar, but she's absolutely right. We need to meaningfully 
um, you know, either abolish or, or reform the FBI. Yeah, well, see, this was kind of the reason why I felt like the whole force of the vote moment was kind of so victorious. I called in and I openly celebrated on your show. Yeah. You know, like, because these people will expose themselves. We are wasting time arguing over when they will. They'll do it themselves. Mm -hmm. This is what I've learned. You know, after years of being in the space, like, you know, people will sit there and be like, ah, I don't necessarily think I trust that person. I, you know, I don't think this. Yeah, they'll expose themselves. It, there'll yeah. come up a time where it'll happen and everyone will see it. And siloing ourselves off and sort of just kind of refusing to engage at all or refusing to even consider that there might be some issues that we have common ground on because I care about issues. I don't care about individuals. Yeah. Yep. I really don't. I want the same things that everyone here. I want higher wages. I want healthcare. I want all of these other types of things. And to deny focusing on the efforts of that over a cringy individual is not really to me, a very good reality or material reality to work with. And, um, you know, I, I think that you do a really good job of trying to bridge that gap, even though you get a whole lot of shit for it. Well, look, I, I appreciate it. I mean, the truth is I, enjoy, I like, I, I'm not going to, I'm not like mother Teresa. I mean, she's complicated, but I'm not mother Teresa here. I also enjoy, <laughs> You know, don't, don't, don't cancel me over mother Teresa. <laughs> I know she, I know she's canceled already, but you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a saint in this situation. I also enjoy having difficult conversations. I enjoyed my talk with Faust today. I find it to be intellectually stimulating. I think it helps to refine my own arguments. I think it's useful. Like I like doing it and I, I feel very privileged to be able to have those kinds of conversations for a living, but you know, you know, it has its downsides. <laughs> Well, I, right. I mean, I, all I'm saying is I'm just saying, like, you, we can't, you can't get too down about it. Like, none of us here can get too down about it. You know, things can change overnight. Big things can happen that just really change the dynamic, really change the conversation. And I think that those are the things that we kind of need to hang on to. And we need to recognize when those shifts happen. And those are the things that we need to focus on instead of spending a whole lot of our time just sitting around um, bitching about whatever individual is in the news cycle. I, I, I completely agree. And to that end, I'm like so excited about um, Shama's new project. I, I'm so glad that she's doing this. I am. I think that, I think that some of the conversations that we've been having and the navel gazing and the fighting, it was a necessary part of our growth. And I don't think that mm -hmm. we should feel bad about it, but I do also think that um, not, Jonathan Cadman's call to action. Some people call him fake Jonathan. I don't call him fake Jonathan, but I think there's something to whether or not you think it's mutual aid or something else that Jonathan's call to action is also real, even though it can be a tough pill to swallow. And I'm, I'm negotiating that for myself right now, how I'm going to use my time with the best use of my time, whether I should be writing more, whether I should log off entirely and do more in the real world. Um, the people who are proximate to me. So I'm going to sit with that. 
I appreciate this community. I feel like I haven't been getting to Anthony. Anthony, you're always, you're in this middle part of the queue, which is not neither the very beginning nor the back. And so I tend to go back and forth and back and forth and you keep getting lost in the. Well, right. do you want me to, oh, um, also, no, 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 I'm hanging up. You're the last okay. caller, Shelly. Okay, uh, no, but no, I'm no, just no, saying fine. to Anthony. Also, just Andrew asked me a question. He said, do you know anything else about Ralph Nader and the Medicare hookup? And I promise I'd ask him. I, I don't. Okay. All right. I'm just I, I don't know. I, I did it, Andrew. Else. I did it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Shelly. I appreciate you. Keep the faith. Yeah, no, thank you. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I had already, I had already, I already next, next did. Um, but you guys are terrific. I'm queuing up this music. I do want to say again, I know that no, Omar, I think I haven't called on you in a while. Mason, you look a new face. I wish I had called a new Jay. Looks like a new face. I'm just saying this to try to glue it in my brain for next time. Scooby looks new. Rex, you're not new, but I haven't called a new in a while. John, Dane, Jesus. Oh, no, I've called a new Jesus. Unless you're a different Jesus. All right, I'm going to try to remember this from for next time. I apologize. But Anthony, Anthony, for sure, I feel like you've been screwed like many times in a row recently. I'm coming for you, Anthony. All right, keep the faith. Take care. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like... I wish, I wish That every time we loving it feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we do it it feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we loving it feels just like this It feels just like this It feels I wish I had a time machine Wish I had a better rhyming scheme Wish that I could speak to giants After climbing up a green stalk That grew from my lime bean I wish that I could spread my wings. Uh, I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people say, "What the actual fuck? Like, are you I saying?" I spoke fluent that- Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kinda understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah, I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like. I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels